You're starting to get cocky now. You're back for a second. What were you, episode 43? I was. My football number, episode 43, yes. Episode 43. I'll never forget, as long yeah. as I live. Yeah. You missed episode 44. We're having you back for episode 45. But don't get any grand ideas, all okay. right? <laughs> I'll put those. I'll put the grand ideas away. A lot of people texted me. A lot of people tweeted me. You know, he was good. He was really, really good. Yeah. But he needs practice. Oh, is that right? He okay, needs good. A, he, needs repeti- he needs reps. I'm here for reps. You, you, need, you need reps. Yeah, it's been a while. I, got, I have a civilian stiff job now in, in an <laughs> office. I haven't done that. There's like two people that sit by me. You occasionally laugh at stuff I say, so I am uh, out of practice. Well, I'll laugh. Hot Shot Scott is here for episode 45. It's available on most podcast platforms. Where do you listen? Spotify, Apple Pod- You got an Apple phone? What yeah, do you listen to? I, I put my Windows phone away finally and got an iPhone, and it's awesome. And so I just listen on the, the free app that comes on so the iPhone. Yeah. yeah. So, and then so you, hit, easy. you hit subscribe. Yep. Because I, I have, I've been told when I, when I first started this project and I, I hired a consultant mm-hmm. to teach me what podcasts are all about because I truly had never really listened to a podcast. Okay. I mean, for the show, when I did the radio show, I would listen to people's podcasts. I wouldn't subscribe, but I would listen to like replays of radio shows because I might want to use something that they had. But I had never actually had a podcast delivered to my phone. Okay. So I had no idea what I was doing. And so one of the things she taught me these rules, and I don't know if these rules apply. You listen to podcasts. I do, tell yeah. Me, tell me if they, everybody does this. Okay. She told me at the beginning of every single show, you've got to say, available on all podcast platforms, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, you can use Spotify, rate us, give us a five-star rating. You're supposed to say this at the beginning of every single show. I find it tedious because I've now said it about 45 times. <laughs> yeah. And I and I figure that most people that are listening right now know this, but she said, no, no, no. Don't assume. You know what happens when you assume. Yeah, that's right. You've got to tell people that they could subscribe for free, which is different than subscribing as a patron to Mitch Unfiltered, which is a little different, and that's like our curveball. That's our second show for a week. How do you feel about me, the ground rules of me having to tell people to subscribe, listen? And I even tell people... If you haven't listened to previous shows and you like Mitch Unfiltered and you want us to be around for a while, just to go through the previous shows and click, click play, even yeah. if you're not going to listen to the whole thing. If you click play, we get credit, get credit for, it, for yeah. the listener. So if you like this, but you can't get around to listening to all of them, just go back and like in a minute, you could click on 30 shows. Yeah, like when Mitch talks, just fast forward. And wait, <laughs> wait, wait till I say something brilliant. You know, that's that's the move. So what 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 do you hear in other in other podcasts? Yes, it does seem kind of silly because if they're listening to us right now, clearly they know how to work a podcast, right? right they right, know right. they know how to get it. But I think subscriptions is a whole different metric that we can view. So I think that's probably why she's telling you to subscribe. Just, just to because I listen doesn't mean I'm a subscriber. Right. And when you say subscribe, you mean click it so it comes right to your phone. Yes. That. Now, why wouldn't somebody who listens to the show click it and have it come right to the phone? It's a good question. There's really no reason for it. Doesn't make any it. sense. Yeah, but I mean, if, if you just type in MITC and then your podcast pops up, so it's right. easy to find. Right. And we want ratings. We want yes. five star ratings. If you're going to give us anything less than five stars, we don't want you. <laughs> we don't want it. We don't want. We we want comments. <laughs> we want ratings. We want you to enjoy the podcast, which we do two times a week. People get confused about this. We do the one main one, which is on Mondays, a Monday release. Once a week. Yep. And then we do a second one for what we call patrons on the Patreon site. Now, even though it's on the Patreon site, it's for people who will who will subscribe to and be a patron for as low as $5 a month. It gets you the second show each week, a full show right. with lots of interviews and lots of fun, 
No commercials on the second show. Oh, great. It's just it's just for patrons. And we do it typically, we release them on Thursday. So we do two shows a week and we allow now what people don't understand, a lot of people don't understand, I didn't understand, is that when you become a patron, you can do something through the Patreon site, which is very simple. I've done it because I've done it for other people. And the show comes right to the Apple Podcast app. Oh, great. That's easy. Yeah. As, as if it was this one. It feels like the easiest thing in the world, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it but feels like But it's not like for it, a lot of people but, my age. Yeah. It's not. Oh, especially your age. <laughs> I mean, jeez. That I can understand a little bit. So, for an example, this coming week, when we do the second show, 45P, we mm-hmm. call this show 45. That one's 45P. We're going to have one of the top prospects in all of Major League Baseball who happens to be in the Mariners organization playing in Modesto, California. Count him. He's 19 years old. His name is Jared Kelnick, and he's 19 years old. He's a phenom, and it's been a long time since the Seattle Mariners had a center fielder, a five-tool center fielder who can hit for power and run. They had one at one point. They they sure did. It's been a long time, and this kid is on the way. They traded for him in the Mets deal when they traded Robinson Cano away, and this guy is just lighting up the minor leagues. He's already gone up a step, and he's 19 years old. Old. Well, I don't want to put any extra pressure on the kid, but wasn't yeah. Griffey 17 when he got drafted or yeah, 18? He was yeah, pretty yeah, young, he was, too. He was real. Well, he was like, he was Griffey. Right. This but, guy is not Griffey. But, okay. But yeah. if people are thinking, well, great, I can't wait to see the guy in five years. Right. It might be a little no, sooner than you think. No, no, no. Right. Even Jerry Depoto, the GM, said maybe 21. Maybe, you know, he's 19, maybe two years. In the next That'd two years, you'll be in center fair. I'll just give you a sense. And he's going to be our guest on episode 45P. But I'll just give you a little teaser. If you took his numbers right now through 60 games of his first ever minor league season as a as a 19-year-old and you extrapolate him out to 162 games. Yeah. He's a in his in his year 19, he's a 310 35 homer, Whoa. 95 RBIs, 110 runs scored and 25 stolen base guy. That's that would what be he nice, is. wouldn't it? That would be nice. That's a 19-year-old kid yeah. doing all that. And you say he can play defense, five tools. Oh, he's he can... unbelievable. He's supposed to be unbelievable out in center field. So I'm ready. I'm ready for his, any excitement. His, his <laughs> name is Jared Kelnick, and he'll be with us on 45P. Now, you need to That's be great. a patron to be able to get that show. That's the second show this week. All right? I love it. Become a patron. It's as easy as going to MitchUnfiltered.com and clicking Become a Patron. So coming up on this show, you ask, what are Hot Shots Scott and Mitch going to talk? We've got a number of topics but coming up on this show in terms of guests, ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Henderson, OTAs and mini camps are over. Training camp is next. Lots of questions looming. Do the wide receivers suck? That's my first question. Uh, will the great Shaquem Griffin story end with him getting cut? You, you know, that's a tough that's situation. A tough one, yeah. That's a tough situation that the Seahawks are in. Um, is Ziggy going to be ready for opening day, the new pass rusher that they got from the Detroit Lions? We have 87-year-young Ben Wright, one of the most colorful voices in the history of television golf on the U.S. Open, Tiger, and the British Open. And we've got CBSSports.com NBA insider Kyle Boone on the NBA draft, Zion Williamson, Matisse Thybul, Jalen Noel, NBA free agency. That's all coming up on this episode of... 45. Man, your producer needs a raise. He's doing a great job. <laughs> Don't say that too loud. Don't say that too loud. I ask all of you to remember that Mitch Unfiltered is brought to you by four incredible partners. I don't even call them sponsors. 
partners, without whom none of this is possible. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue with offices in Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley. The Financial Times named him one of the top financial advisors in 2018. And remember, Evergreen Golf Call is sending someone and a guest with me in July to play Pebble Beach and spend the weekend on the Monterey Peninsula. Unbelievable. Zeke's Pizza, I say it all the time. Best pizza in the Northwest, Zeke's. Best pizza company, Zeke's. Best people making and serving pizza in the Northwest, Zeke's. You can have it delivered to your door, or you can go to one of their 17 great locations. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler. There's no better special occasion place in the Northwest, period, than the four locations of Daniel's Broiler. South Lake Union, Leshy, Bellevue Place, and the new spectacular location at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Seattle. And the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. More and more Mitch Unfiltered tumblers going out for free. If you want a Mitch Unfiltered tumbler, it's very simple to get one for free. All you've got to do if you're a homeowner is pick up the phone and call Jordan Flowers or a member of his team in the Kirkland office. It's got to be the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150. 30-year fixed rates down to about 3.8%. Everybody can save money. And if you want a Mitch Unfiltered Tumblr, all you've got to do, no commitment, is just call their office, tell them who you are, and ask them how much you can save on a monthly basis. That's it. Then write me at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and say, Send me my Tumblr. I called the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. Here we go. Episode 45 starts now. Unfiltered. I just can't believe the amount of expectations that are being heaped on this guy's shoulders before he plays a game. I, I know he's extra special, and I know he's the type of talent that we really haven't seen come along. The way he plays the game with his overall size, his quickness, his leaping, the combination of skills and size that he's got is different than most anything we've ever seen before. And I get all that, but it's very rare that you ever hear over and over and over again, the experts call the upcoming number one pick in the NBA draft the future face of the NBA. You don't hear that with Markel Fultz or any of the yeah. other number ones. Yeah. They, they are calling everybody in every corner of the NBA. They're calling Zion Williamson the face from the day one, from the first game in October for the New Orleans Pelicans, he's going to be the face of the NBA. That is an inordinate amount of pressure and expectations on this guy. Unfiltered. I honestly thought it was April Fool's or there was some, this had to be a prank. This was some sort of satire piece in The Athletic or somebody was writing something that was just supposed to be funny. And so I giggled a little bit until I realized like five minutes later, wait a second, the Tampa Bay Rays, because they're so miserable in Tampa and they want a new stadium and they don't want to put a roof on the stadium, which is going to cost an extra $300 million. They want to play when they when it's really hot in Florida during the summertime months. They're going to play in Montreal. Montreal's going to get a team for the first time since the Expos, or they're going to get half a team. And they're going to literally split their season in Montreal and Tampa. And I, I, you know, just when you think you've seen it all in sports, this story hits. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, episode 45 is here, 
And before we get into all the new stuff and the new interviews and the new fun, some really interesting things, we got to go back to 44 for a second. Okay. Because people were rubbed the wrong way for two apparent reasons. One of which I understand and one of which I'm having trouble understanding. So maybe you can help me. You heard 44, right? I did. Okay. Let's do, let's, let's do away with the one that I do understand. I, I badgered Jason D. Hamilton a little bit at the end of a episode. A little 40. bit? Yeah. Is, that, is that what you're going with? A little bit? I kept thinking about like, what if a high school girlfriend tried to break up with you back in the day? <laughs> I mean, you'd be like, okay, great. Every other Wednesday for 15 minutes, that's all. Every other Wednesday. Like, the guy wants to move it along here. I know you like him and you want him to be here, but let the guy go. Well, I, I'm not going to try to explain away. I, when I listen to it back... I get why people were uncomfortable with it. I hope Jason D. Hamilton wasn't uncomfortable with it. What I was trying to do was communicate, do to a couple things. I just, I guess I'm explaining myself here, and I, I, I shouldn't because I'm, I'm, I'm losing either way. Okay. Okay. I just explain myself. First of all, I wanted to communicate two different things. One, one thing to Jason, and one thing to the, to the audience. Number one to Jason, I just wanted him to know, by me pushing, how much I cared about his participation on the show. And I wanted to verbalize that to him. And I wanted to show him by saying, I'll, I'm willing to bend over backwards just so you can be a little small, tiny part of it. I want you to be, and he's going to be a part of it. He's already said he's going to be a part. He'll be back and sure. he'll be doing segments and he, he won't be gone long. Right. But I just thought the badgering, I was trying, the badgering, I was trying the badgering. <laughs> what was the was, end game <laughs> And I, I, I don't know that I communicated that. And then I wanted, I wanted the listeners to know that I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to keep him involved, that this is completely his decision, and I'm sure that came out in the first 90 seconds. <laughs> it did. I probably should have moved on. <laughs> Were you uncomfortable? I was a little uncomfortable, yeah. Oh, I kind of wanted it to... Can I have it back? There's just certain people, you just want him to say, oh, take a hint, he's he's done. This is, No matter what you offer him, He's not. he just needs to... Get this off his plate. That's all. So why didn't I get That's that? All. Why didn't I stop? <laughs> I, I told it's like a so girlfriend. So what can I you know? do? What can I do to make it up? Can I do anything to make it up? I, Jason strikes me as the kind of guy that's going to do what Jason wants to do. I don't think he took it in a weird personal way. I don't. I don't know that to be true. Just, would you have taken it personally? Like, would you been put off by me trying to convince you to stay? I don't think I would. I think I would have been flattered. I think I would have been flattered. I was hopeful that he was flattered. Yeah, but. Okay. But I, I think at some point I, I probably would have liked to have just moved on and okay. done the show. Uh, so f- before we start 45, <laughs> yeah. I guess we've started 45, I'd like to acknowledge that I'd like to have a few of those minutes back. Okay. okay. Can, can we That's dump the them? <laughs> like in radio? <laughs> Is there a way to go clip them out or can something? I dump the last six right. months of my life? Now, the other part that was controversially and much more controversial than the Jason part was the interview with Rob Sarah. Now, Rob Sarah was 18 years old. When he went into those buildings, the World Trade Center buildings. Yes. You heard that interview. I did hear it. I, I went ahead and played, I know, I went ahead and played John Stewart and his and his spiel to the House Judiciary Committee. I thought it was very moving. It was great. And, and then I went ahead and had on now 39-year-old Rob Sarah, who has fought illnesses, not serious, serious ones, but he's watched his brethren die and 8,000 of them have cancer from the toxic situations, and they need money. They need the extension of funding the the first responders into those buildings. And I I have been moved by that story, so I decided to invite Rob Sarah on. Never, I want you to look me in the eye, and I want people to hear this. Never in, and you can call me the most naive human being. Maybe I'm already naive for not realizing that I was badgering Jason <laughs> the after. Never in a second, when I decided to do that segment, 
did I ever even consider for an iota of a moment that it was a politically charged segment. I believe you when you say I, that. And I'm That's... just maybe I'm just a sports dummy. I have decided to wander into other stuff besides sports on occasion. 99% of what we talk about is going to be sports. But on occasion, I'm going to have Stephen Elliott on who went and and That's right. had a tragic accident with Pat Tillman and has to come back and had to deal with that. Every once in a while, I'm going to have Rob Sarah on, a first responder to the World Trade Center, who he and his everybody who went into that situation needs our help. I'm going to have those guys on. I, I don't plan to make any of it political or to even further my political stance on anything. It's not what you do, first it's, of all. It's absolutely yeah. not what I do. It's or not what I done. do well, and I've never done it before. Yeah. Although some of this stuff I've never done before either. And I, I just want to say to those of you who took offense to that segment that I'm sorry, I, I hope that you can understand that that's not where I was going. To me, the rationale behind that segment was very, very simple and innocent. Well, someone just tweeted and said, delete your account, loser. <laughs> if you're wondering. <laughs> I mean, people get so outraged about nothing all the time. Who right? did? No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> but it's just funny how, like, like I heard Norm MacDonald say he has all these followers and they all hate his guts. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what, you know, why? What is that? What's everybody so offended So for? when you listened to it, did you hear politics in it? No, I did not hear politics. And I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting in front of you. I just heard about a bunch of people that are getting sick from the, the 9-11 attacks and we got to get some more money to help them. Right. That's what you heard. That's what I heard. You heard an 18-year-old who wasn't even in the New York City Fire Department yet. He was two days away from starting before he went into that into that situation where he, he thought he was going to die. Right. And he was willing to go in there. And he said he was pulling tags off of his gear because he hadn't even been a firefighter Right. Yet. And this is what I said to Jason D. Hamilton on, on 44P that some people heard, many didn't. I'll say it again now. It's, it's a very similar situation to Stephen Elliott. Stephen Elliott volunteered to represent our country and go fight in Afghanistan, all right? He came back after a, a catastrophic accident, and he has fought, fought, fought for his mental well-being ever since, mm -hmm. as many of those young men and women. And what I said on episode 44P, I'll say it again now. We can't ask people to volunteer like that and defend us and defend our freedom and defend the country and go fight and put their lives on them and then ignore them when they come back. Yeah. Well, you can't have it both ways. Either either we're, we're not going to send these people to war yeah. or we're going to do both, send them to war and then do every bend over backwards to take care of them when they return. Did you get any political And I type? feel the same way about first responders. Yeah. to the 9-11 World Trade Center. If we're going to ask our our heroes, our firefighters, to go into those buildings thinking that, okay, this is where it all ends, but this is my job. I'm going to do it for the country. I'm going to do it because this is what I do. When they come back and there's illnesses and there's sicknesses and there's respiratory problems and there's cancer and there's dying and there's deaths, we, we've got to, we have a responsibility to take care of them. This is not about Republican, Democrat, independents, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the affiliation. I never thought that I was getting into a political situation. That's all I'm saying. Did you get any backlash from the, the Pat Tillman story politically? Did people, no. So I'm, I'm, Not that I recall. I'm no. kind of curious what, what the difference is. Well, the difference is, is that they are struggling with the people in power right now. And he on our show 
did take a little jab, a little stab at the Republican Party and the Republican leadership. And when he did that, that probably set set in motion the the objections to the segment. Oh. I could have taken that out now. We edit. We edit shows. I could have taken it out, but I just felt like, you know what? The kid, not a kid anymore, 39 yeah. years old, he deserves to be heard. And if this is what he wants people to hear, he's going to... He's going to allow, I'm going to allow it on the show. Maybe I shouldn't have. Well, it almost seems unfair to, to edit him or censor him. It almost seems unfair to yeah. him. So I'm so, kind of glad you didn't. I, I just want to make that clear that I didn't intend it to be political. And when I do wander off into other stuff in the future, um, it will be apolitical. At least the intention will be apolitical. I wonder right? if it, the John Stewart thing played into it a bit because he hosted kind of a left-leaning show forever. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe that kind of rubbed yeah. people the wrong way yeah. as well. Maybe, maybe. Episode 45. So let's get into the new stuff. First of all, we got to name the segment. I'm ready. You got any 45. 45s that you remember? Well, the biggest one from my childhood. The biggest one. Really? You're old enough to remember him playing? Kenny Easley? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Orzeski goes to the far side. Yeah, He's he the best. Got drafted in '82. I'm eight or so, so I, I totally remember. Okay. I remember watching games and hearing the announcer say, "There must be two 45s on the Seahawks." <laughs> like he was that good. I remember his broken hand, line, broken yeah. hand, or like, yeah. a, and he's returning punts yeah. with a cast on his hand. Like yeah. he's the toughest human. In the world. He was very, very good. He, in fact, if it weren't for the fact that his career was cut short by injury and illness, knee injuries, leg injuries, and, of course, the kidney thing, mm-hmm. um, he'd be on probably the Mount Rushmore of maybe even defenders. I don't know. Maybe thought of his When like I first came Taylor. to town, and I'm by the way, I'm not naming 45 after Kenny Easley, <laughs> okay. just, just for the oh, record. I know I'll piss a lot of people mm-hmm. off, and I don't mean to. When I first came to town and I was doing Mitch in the Midday, one of my first guests was Ronnie Lott. And I remember introducing him like it was yesterday. This was like 1995. Introducing him as the greatest safety that ever played. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Ronnie Lott. And he immediately put me down. He immediately corrected me. He immediately said to me, oh, no. Oh, no. The greatest safety that's ever played in the NFL played in your backyard. I went to USC. The greatest safety of all time went to UCLA. And he was not just trying to be nice. Yeah. He went on this two-minute, like, opinion piece on why he thought <laughs> the greatest safety. And, and they were at the same time. They were they were peers. Yeah. They were rivals and they were peers. In the same city. And so yeah. I, I said, if Ronnie Lott wants to convince me that Kenny Easley was the greatest safety of all time, then he was the greatest safety of all time. That is high praise. It's like Jerry Rice saying, no, nah, the best receivers. Well, he would never say that, but it would be the same thing. <laughs> I mean, Ronnie Lott, to me, is the best safety ever. Uh, but it's not going to be episode Kenny Easley. All right, I tried. Because I think that there's somebody a little better. Hey, if you want to alienate Seahawk fans, that's uh, your life. I'll You've see. already alienated everyone Here else with go. your political nonsense. And my badgering of Jason <laughs> That's Deham. right. Who's left that you uh, haven't alienated? Uh, well, okay. Uh, so Kenny Easley's in the mix. It's not going to be him. Uh, Pedro Martinez is in the mix. He was good. Three Cy Youngs. That's pretty decent. And a takedown of... Oh, my favorite. Don Zimmer. See, how do you like... Oh. See, I hated Pedro Martinez. Well, I don't know if I like him, Especially for that. I, I love that he didn't care. It's like, hey, I don't care how old you are, old man. You're going to come at me. You're going to get swung on. I sort of like that that mentality. I'm, What's Don I'm Zimmer so, doing I'm, sticking I'm, his nose in there? A, I'm kind of offended that you like that. <laughs> didn't Don Zimmer like You're roll backward? Yeah, yes, he did. <laughs> I think the term is ass over tea kettle. Oh, come on. <laughs> you are really. Oh, I loved it. You're really siding with, 
with Pedro <laughs> yeah. on that moment? Yes. I mean, Don, at some point when you're a man, you realize, all right, maybe I've lost my fastball. No pun intended. I'm not quite who I was. You know, I've lost a little bit of mustard in he my life. He took down a 75-year-old <laughs> out of shape man. They'd stay on the bench. What if he, they had brought out the stretcher and, and had to take – Zimmer to All the right. hospital. All right. Maybe it happened that would here t- in Seattle, too, right? Did it happen in Seattle? Yeah, it was like at the All-Star game. I think it was the All-Star game Was in it Seattle. Don Zimmer again? Or I, I think it was the All-Star game Or was it Lasorda? Oh, Lasorda. Wait, I, yeah, I'm now I'm, I'm confusing one with yeah, the other. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It might have been Lasorda, but he, it, was the same, the game. it was the this same was move, yeah. backward yes, roll. That, I'm mixing oh, up the Lasorda. Yes, the third base coaching thing. Yeah, I can't believe you're taking that side. I love it. Um, so we've got Pedro Martinez. It's not him. And then I do want to get a mention because I'm a Heisman Trophy guy. That there's only one, been only one player in the history of the Heisman Trophy, college football, that's won it twice. Think about that. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Now you might say, oh yeah, because if you win it nowadays, you go pro right after you win it. Well, some freshmen and sophomores win it, and then they can't go pro and they come back. There have been plenty of of players that have come back as Heisman Trophy winners with a chance to repeat. And didn't do it. And didn't do it. A lot of them. And recently, the guy from Louisville, the Louisville quarterback, Lamar Jackson, yeah, Jackson yeah. who's at Baltimore, he had a chance, I believe. I mean, there's been a lot of them lately. Only one guy came back and repeated. In it's the impressive. history of college football. It's impressive. And he wore 45. Archie Griffin. Was he a good pro? I don't remember. No. Okay, No, he played for the Bengals. No, he had, he had a cup of coffee in the, in the National Football League. It's not going to be Archie Griffin. Okay. I've got somebody who I think is better than all of them. I'm ready to hear this. And I know I'm going to put my neck on the line here because Seattle people, Northwest people are going to say, how could you not name it after Kenny Easley? So maybe I'll – I've split it a couple of times. So maybe – Oh, you have. Maybe I'll split it. Maybe I'm having second thoughts. Am I talking you into it a little bit? (laughs) Just a little bit. All right, I have to get to a couple of things in our first segment. Then we'll get three great interviews and then we'll come back and finish things up with you. I'm ready. Okay, three things. First of all, do you have anything on your list? Because I always go on my list, that, uh, and, then, and then we leave, and you say, oh, geez, or Jason D. says, oh, I, I wanted to talk. Do you have anything on your I list do. I that's a, important? I got a bunch of stuff. One of them is I, I actually did some homework on the NBA draft and how valuable it is or isn't to have the number one overall pick. I was just kind of curious. Does that pay off for championships when you have the number one overall pick uh. or not? I was uh, just curious if it does. You. Look at you doing a little research. Well, that's, you know, it's what so I do. So you're asking if I work at Microsoft list? now. Everything, my whole life is data. <laughs> so I have a PowerPoint presentation I'm going to put up later for you. We can run so through it. So you're going to tell us how often a team with the number one overall pick wins an NBA championship. Since the, I, I did it since the draft lottery, which started in which year? The draft lottery. You should know this. Well, this would be Patrick Ewing. Yeah, you are so correct, I'm sir. I'm going to go, Patrick, Patrick, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Patrick Ewing. Um, I'm going to say 1985. It was 1985. So so since the start, because the year before, Olajuwon went number one overall, and they eventually won one with him. So that is one. But since 1982 with him. Right. They, they went back-to-back. Back. I think had, Houston went back-to-back. Back yeah, that Drexler with, was in on one of them. Yeah, and, well, I think it's when Jordan was was out. When Jordan went to play baseball, that's right. Houston won both. Yeah. I contend that the Knicks, the Knicks, should have won one of those two. Uh, but John Starks went three for a million in the last game. But And that was the O.J. Simpson. Oh, Bronco. that's We're right. To yeah, yeah, We're yeah. going to tie it all together. I like it. Degree. So go ahead. So, so what, what do you got? So I just, the NBA, I thought it was interesting. Do you want to get into this now or do you want to wait on it? On how often a team wins a championship with the number right one overall Pay pick. Pay it off right here. Only two teams since 1985 have won an NBA championship with the number one overall pick that they drafted. Only two. Two teams. One team did it multiple times, and one team did it once. So Houston's one of them. Well, no, because that was the year before. It was 84. So since the 85 start of the draft lottery. So the start of the draft lottery, only two teams have parlayed the number one pick Mm -hmm. into 
an NBA champion. And, and by the way, both of these teams had two number one overall. One is vibe. obvious. This is like stump the band. Yeah, what, where is the band? We're, we're, I don't think we're allowed to stump the band anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, that, we, we'll hear from attorneys. But, uh, but <laughs> listen to this. Both teams had two number one overalls. Stump the orchestra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> okay, well, one is obvious. One is is uh, is um, Tim Duncan. Correct. And? The San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, but they had two number one overalls. Both teams had David two. David Robinson? That's right. Okay. That's one. I think they won like three, or Duncan won five, and David okay. won three. So, okay. Yeah, so that's one. So that's one. Yeah. Who's uh, the, the other team? And it's, it's that w- had since the, then. Had the number one overall pick and won a championship with that guy. They, by the way, this team also has two number one overalls on it. They won it. So both teams both, had two number ones. Both teams So did. you're saying having one number one, no one's ever won it. Hasn't won number Not one. since the draft lottery. Which is uh, 34 Four. years. Yep. All right, give it to me. Who's the other one? The Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, wow. Yeah. LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. Isn't that amazing, though, that nobody's picked the number one overall player and then parlayed that into a championship? Nobody. You have to have two at least, right? So he came, but he had to come back to win He it, came right? back, but Kyrie was there, too. Right. So I guess so the question is, so, so well, why are we making such a big deal out of this whole thing? Shouldn't So the, the math says trade that number one overall pick. You're not going to win a championship with it. Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, I don't know. I, I, I'm talking about data here, math, Moneyball. Okay, the math says you're not gonna. I, who's gonna be the GM to trade Zion though? Raise your hand. Nobody. Nobody's <laughs> right. gonna trade the number one. Pick. The number one pick doesn't get traded. Well, doesn't it get traded. But who's to say that that's gonna make a difference? That you're gonna that you're gonna win an NBA championship with multiple picks instead of the number one overall pick. Right? Who's to say? The math would say you have a better chance than yes, the number one. That's right. Okay. Having said that, would you have traded Zion? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Now, any other first round. got that straight. Any one number on overall, maybe. But he's the best college basketball player I've seen since Shaquille O'Neal, honestly. The most dominating college basketball player I've seen since Shaquille O'Neal. Can you think of anyone else in between that time who who not only dominated the game like he's playing on a Nerf hoop with his nephews, but then also went on to dominate it in the NBA? I'll tell you, and I don't want to repeat too much of 44P because it's special for the patrons. And if I'm just going to repeat things that we did on 44P on the regular shows, we'll have no patrons. Yeah, right. Okay. But I will say this. The one thing about Zion Williamson that I'm incredibly intrigued by is the way he plays. He's going to force NBA veterans to have to really play in like game 23 of an 82-game season on a Tuesday night. He plays with a with a fire intensity, an intensity yep. inside. I just don't think these guys want want to deal with this guy. Right? Who wants? I mean, maybe they can and maybe they can't. But does does like the seven year power forward who's making fifteen million dollars a year just wants to stay healthy on, for the rest of his Tuesday career? Tuesday <laughs> night in November in Milwaukee, and, and <laughs> just wants to go get a drink. Right? Does he? And, and he he has to come out and has to guard that. Yeah, and to guard that, you oh. got the, the what you have to put yourself through. You what to, he is going to put playoff and, caliber, like you that's have to. What re- I want to see, yeah, I want to see. Great. Or, or are they just going to say, you know what? He's a young kid. Now, Jason D says, no, they have an ego. They have a competitive, f- and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna rise to the occasion. I, can I just, they? Uh, well, they can. I mean, he has he has done this. Don't forget, he's done this against college. He has not done this against men. He's now going to try to do this against men. Well, but I just question It's a little the men. insulting. They're all grown men. They're 22, 21. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I, I do know what you mean, but his body is not 
Kevin Durant coming out of college. Remember no. when he couldn't bench press he like three plays times? He with a ferocity He's that built is like a man. He's, what are you going to do Oh, right it's now? just the nicotine lozenges. We already went over this. Is this for the rest of your life now? You have to take these what things? What are you, my wife now? I have to I just ju- wanna... <laughs> justify this to you? What, is this someone else I'm not being truthful right. with in my right. life? i got to ring the bell. Let's right. get to a couple top topics. O.J. Simpson's got a Twitter. He does. Hey, Twitter world, this is yours truly. Now, coming soon to Twitter, you'll get to read all my thoughts and opinions on just about everything. Now, there's a lot of fake OJ accounts out there. So this one, at the real OJ32, is the only official one. So this should be a lot of fun. I got a little getting even to do. So God bless. Take care. How do you feel about it? Well, when I heard the, when I watched the video, I thought it was a joke for a second. The video. Really? Well, how is he not... Did, A, did, did he watch the video back before he posted? It doesn't appear so. Would you, If you did a video of yourself and posted it on Twitter, would you watch it back first and go, was that a good take or should I do that over again? Did I murder anybody one- or is that not part of it? <laughs> I just need to know all the facts here. <laughs> of course, I don't. I don't. I don't tweet without spelling. You think it correctly. that was a first take? Yes. When he did that? Yeah. I don't think he cares. The man said, "I got some getting even to do," and that drew the exact same reaction from every person in the world who saw the video. Yeah. Except for one person. Who's the one person who didn't have that reaction? Mm, the guy that posted it. <laughs> I mean, it's been 20 years. Maybe I'm wrong, but didn't he already get even to the people he thought wronged him? Uh, what am I missing here? <laughs> how how does he not realize what he said is going to do? Unless you're going to tell me he did. He said it on purpose. He wanted people to react the way we... Well, I don't think so. I think he's that's so... That's interesting, though. I think he's so ignorant that he said that. I got some getting even to do. He watched it back. And said, "Yep, this is what." And he it never dawned on him that every other person that is over the age of eighteen months yeah. is going to realize, "Oh my God, did he just say getting even? He's got some getting even." To, he, I, I don't lock th- your doors. I everybody. honestly think he had no idea that that would be the reaction. But that's interesting. What you said earlier is he turning into a caricature of himself? Like, does he have to sort of like? play on that now no is that who he is because didn't he write a book called if i did it yeah but i think that we would be giving him too much credit okay if we thought but that what he else does he have those, you think he picked those words on on purpose you don't think he picked those words on purpose. i don't know now i didn't think about that until you said that just now I, i'm wondering if maybe that's who he is now did he's you, a caricature of himself did you did you follow him oh i wanted to lie about it because i knew you were going to ask me <laughs> but you can easily just you check it you could have unfollowed just for the broadcast oh, right? hold on. just for the you know, give me a second here we get on my phone you followed him. i did follow him i noticed that like seven hundred and fifty thousand people or did i get that wrong i think it was oh i'm sure yeah real That's... quickly like in 24 yeah. hours well what if the guy has one too many and starts tweeting out details about that night i couldn't follow i want to know you i want to be on the front line of knowing you'll find out i'll find out i don't follow i want to find out Right now, I want everything right so now. Followed, I don't want to wait. Did you have a? There was guilt when you. Hit it the felt kind of weird. Yeah, it it did feel weird. For, why am I? But technically, he's innocent. So where's the weirdness come from? He's a he's an innocent man. It's he up walked. To you. you you do you do what you no. It, it you please. It definitely felt weird, and I felt a little dirty about it. But I did follow him, and now I'm hoping for some drunken rant. Uh, he has done a few subsequent videos, by the way. I noticed. Oh, so you're you love watching all those videos, but you can't be bothered to follow. I didn't follow him. <laughs> I went to prepare for the show. This is all work work stuff. 
I went to prepare for the show to see if he I use that excuse all the time. And, <laughs> <laughs> what are you watching that video for? Oh, it's for work. Totally for work, honey. You wouldn't understand. I wanted to see what he and he, he's going to do fantasy football stuff. And does he read when people because like thousands of people? Hey, you murderer! Shut up and go right. back to jail. Does he read all that stuff? No. He's been getting that for 25 years. Everywhere he goes, he's, people are yelling murderer at he's him. He's asking questions. Who would you take in the first pick of the <laughs> like, of the fantasy football league draft? He's OJ Simpson is doing fantasy football league <laughs> advice. This is more pathetic than Pete Rose sitting with the autographs in Vegas, right. which I always thought was really it's sad. sad. Yeah, I bet you could hire OJ to come to your fantasy football party for the right amount of money, two thousand bucks. All right, you're a football player. Yes, sir. You wanted to be a pro football player. Correct. You didn't make it close. I did not make it close. You watch football. Yes. Do you like the fact that we can now challenge pass interference? Well, you and I can. Is that what you're no, saying? No, we can't from our family rooms. <laughs> okay. But coaches can. Pete Carroll, if he sees pass interference, he can challenge. If, if pass interference is called and he thinks it was a bad call, he can challenge. First time this year. They finalized it last week. Do you like it? If it's going to extend the game even longer, which I know sounds weird because if you like football, well, who cares how long the game gets extended? It should be eight hours if you love it. But this is going to be kind of boring. The guy under the hood is already enough. I don't like it. I feel they like don't pass, go to the hood anymore now. Right. But pass interference, I feel like, can be called on every play. If, yeah. you, if you really look for it, just like they say about holding, right? Right. And imagine the Legion of Boom playing under these rules. Well, I've got two thoughts on this. This is unfiltered, so I'll give you my unfiltered opinion. Okay. Number one, the first thing that comes to mind is the thing that happened in, Saint, in New Orleans to the Saints can't happen. What do you mean it can't or it shouldn't happen? You, you, anything that you've got to do to avoid a oh, gotcha. team not yeah. being able to go to the Super Bowl over an absolutely criminal call. I know. It's, was that four so, months ago and we that, still can't get over how awful well, that was? On, that's all, I mean, we play awful. the whole season. I know, I know. And we're not even Saints fans, and they didn't go to the Super Bowl over that. So my first blush opinion is, all right, whatever, if I have to tag along with extending the games so that that never happens again, on its, on its face, it's worth it. Fair enough. Okay, I'm not really concerned with the extension of games in most of the game because, remember, coaches only have X amount of challenges. So up until two minutes to go in the half, up until two minutes to go in the game, it's the coach's challenge, and they've got to use their their challenges yeah. very wisely, and they can't challenge everything. They can't stop everything. So that's not where it's going to be. Okay. Where it's obviously going to be the extension of games, and it's not even really going to be in the, the end of the second quarter the two minutes in the second quarter because a lot of times teams are running out the clock taking knee, yeah. yeah it'll happen a little bit there where it's going to happen is in close games with two minutes to go in the game where now the officials and the guy in new york have to choose on every play do we stop the play you're going to have a team that's behind that's throwing the ball on every down and they're going to have to decide at that point how often are we going to stop and go look at a replay for a potential pass interference? But if, if they missed it the first time, what, what's going to make them think that there's something that they missed? You know what I mean? Like The guy in New York is the guy who stops right. it. He's watching on Where video. was he in that Saints game, the yeah. guy in New York? Well, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't, challenge, yeah. you couldn't stop for that type of play. Silly. That's the whole point. Yeah. You couldn't stop it. But now he can, and he's going to radio down to the head official and say, stop it, we want to look at this, and yada, yada, yada. I really wonder, and this is going to be very interesting, how often in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter are they going to stop the game to look at potential PIs for for the game? And they actually released a statement, which I, I find hysterical. I don't even know why I find this so funny. All right. But it says that the rules committee has instructed replay officials 
to use strict criteria in quotes in stopping the game to review pass interference. There must be, and I quote, clear and obvious evidence okay. that a pass interference foul may <laughs> or may not have occurred in order to stop a game for review. So we need to, there needs to be absolutely clear and decisive evidence that something may have happened. <laughs> Definitely maybe. And I just find humor in that. I don't know if I'm the only guy no, in America is. that finds humor in that. Well, considering what we all had to go through in our football watching careers, it seems right. perfect, doesn't right. it? It just right. seems perfect. Right, right. So along that vein, finding humor in the NFL. Cam Newton. Yes. Before we get to the three interviews, and we got three great interviews, and we'll get in the final segment to some of these other funny stories that are happening in the world of sports this week, but... Cam Newton. Does everybody know this? Because I felt like when I found out just before recording this this episode 45, I I didn't realize that this had happened. Did you know about this all weekend? Did, uh, no. Something that I didn't realize that this happened. So I'm wondering whether the, the majority of the audience listening right now actually know of this story. Well, I think the guy who took the video tweeted it. So I, I'm sure some people probably okay. were aware right. of it. Yeah. So Cam Newton is on a plane, I think from New York to Paris, some, somewhere to Paris. I don't think it's Charlotte to Paris. Ten-hour flight. Ten-hour flight yep. to Paris. And he's in coach. Which is a whole nother thing I won't get into right now. He's in coach. What, what, what's your problem with coach? Makes $16 million a year. He probably get called. Get a first-class seat. He probably called for first class, and he was, they, they were sold out. Great, I go the next day or the next day. Oh, I don't, okay. I don't fly right. coach if I'm Cam Newton okay. ever. You, you just wait until there's yes. a first class. Maybe he had to be somewhere at a certain, maybe it was a last-minute thing, whatever. He's in coach. He's in coach. He's a big man. And somebody films him going up to somebody else in coach, not in first class, but in a in a seat that has a little extra leg room. Yeah, maybe it was like the ones that were, you know, like the emergency row or Yeah, you paid like twenty three dollars for an extra for an extra <laughs> yeah. few inches. Right? Money well spent though. You, you can do that. Yeah. Uh, for ten hour trip. And he's 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 seen on video offering fifteen hundred bucks. Yes. To a stranger, to switch seats with him so that he can have at six foot five the extra. Would you have taken the fifteen hundred bucks? Well, I was on a flight to London last year, and it was about eleven hours. And there's and I actually somehow lucked out and got the bulkhead seat. So there's literally a wall in front of me. I could put the soles of my shoes up. I could stretch out that far. It was glorious. Absolutely would not have taken the money. See now, Microsoft must be paying you very, very. Leg well. room is every very, very. Well. <laughs> leg room is everything on an eleven hour. Do you flight. know what percentage of people would have taken the fifteen hundred dollars? Fifty. Real? You thought you think it's only fifty? Yes. Oh, I think it's a lot more than fifty. Well, it's a lot it's, more than fifty percent. For extra leg room, it's worth 1, it. Fifteen hundred bucks from an okay. NFL player. That's okay. a that's a so long flight. So there's one flight. thing. There's one thing that I hate about this, <laughs> and there's one thing. That I love. Okay. I'll start with what I hate. I hate the fact that the guy didn't negotiate. He just turned him down. How about coming back with a counteroffer? You don't just turn <laughs> Cam Newton down. I want to see how high Cam's going to go. If I'm in that seat and I don't want to, if you, and I don't want the 1500 bucks. Oh, I would love to see that. 10 grand. I, I'll go up to 10, <laughs> 9. To I want to see a full fledged negotiation with Cam Newton on video for six inches of extra leg room. That would have been amazing. So that's what I didn't like. The fact it's, that he just turned him down and then Ken Newton just kind of turned around and went back to his seat. Well, yeah, that bothers me. It's like the scene in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Anyone <laughs> who will pay 50 for a cab 
could surely pay a hundred. I love whatever. I love that scene. That, that's right. So that that would have been you, so right? That would have been me. Yeah. That, that would have been me. So I, that's what pained me about the video. The part that I love about it, and I don't think I can say this with any more <laughs> emphasis. If there's one, I almost want to say athlete, but I'll keep it to the NFL. If there's one NFL player that I'm thrilled was in that situation. <laughs> if you had said to me before I read this story, Mitch, there's an NFLer who was flying to Paris, makes a lot of money. He offered 1500 bucks to a guy for extra leg room, and the guy turned, him, turned his ass down and sent him back to his chair. If you had said, Mitch, I'll give you, I'll let you decide who that player is. Anybody in the NFL. Yeah. It would not have taken me long. You would have got it. No, no, no. I, 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 oh, no, 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 no. I, I wouldn't be predicting. If you had said to me, you can choose who oh, that I person see. is. Your, your first round pick of who gets turned down would have been yes. him. I would not have I would not have thought about it for more than five minutes. What is it about him that just I would rubs have said people? Cam Newton. It's the amazing. One guy, and it wouldn't even I don't know I don't even know. Ask me who would be second in line. Yeah, right. I mean who ask me. Who would be second? I have absolutely no names. Ben Roethlisberger probably. No, I don't mind Ben Roethlisberger. Okay. But what I is have it about absolutely Cam no Newton. names? What is I have doing? one name and it ended up being the guy that I wanted it to be. It's a good day That's for what you. <laughs> what a big day for you. He sent his ass back to his seat <laughs> and coach. And coach, by the way. And he sat crammed all uh. the way to Paris and now he's being photographed with Russell Westbrook. I don't know what he was doing in Paris. But. It's it's crazy how certain people just fall into this bucket of oh, we, we I, just I, don't I, like him. I don't but, like Cam Newton. It's but he hasn't I really done anything. Fist. Yes, well, he hasn't done anything. You know, so reprehensible. I, I, when I say I don't like, yeah, when I say I don't like him, I don't like him as an athlete. As yeah. a man, I don't really know. I, I don't sure. know. But, I, I know what you okay, mean. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. you, you gotta, you, you know, especially somebody in my shoes. You yeah. gotta be careful. He's just a guy you don't you don't root for. I, as a football player, <laughs> I can't find another <laughs> guy I dislike. So funny. I hate you're not the, alone though. I hate the first down signal. Yeah. I hate the Superman. I hate. There's there's never anything that he does on the football field that I like. And then when the football game is over and he gets in front of a microphone or behind a microphone with the hat and the get and then he acts the way he does when he's not happy. Oh my god, that guy! <laughs> I want him. I wanted them to put him in a seat with less leg room. <laughs> Less like him. I was just thrilled that it was him. We all just decide that he's unlikable. It's like in music, we all just decided that Nickelback's the worst band of all time. I don't know how that happens. I don't know who decides Nickelback. it. We all just decide, oh, that's the worst band ever, and he's the most unlikable player ever. Uh, Poor Cam. All right, listen, I've got I've got Matisse and Jalen NBA draft, although we're going to have a segment on the NBA draft in an interview. I've got Le'Veon Bell's 911 call. Have oh, you seen that? Yes, I we're have. We're going to talk about that in our last segment. Uh, I got Jason Vargas, former Mariner pitcher, threatened to kick somebody's ass today. <laughs> a member of the media told him he's going to F him up. He's going to F up a member of the media well, I mean, on having, Sunday. Have you been on that? You've been on that that side of it, having yeah. a, a coach or a player tell oh, you they're going to. Right. So you, you've been there. But nobody's ever said to me, I'm going to you up. I mean, you and got, then and then lunge towards me. I I mean, I've had a I've had a few that got mad at me and didn't talk to me for four years and put his finger one in particular that put his <laughs> finger in my chest. I think I remember that one. Yeah, and uh, he happens to be the coach of my favorite team and still the coach. Yeah, and yeah. a legendary call a Hall of Famer. But uh, no one threatened to throw you out a window or something. Or? Oh yes. Okay. Well, Digger oh, yeah. Phelps. How Digger, many more should I come up with that you <laughs> forgot about? I mean, God. <laughs> Funny how we forget about people who want to kill you. I am going to throw you out that window. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. You remember that? I do, yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, Digger Phelps. See, I was talking Jim Behan. Right, but I was thinking the Digger Phelps oh, one. He yeah. wanted to throw you out a window. Oh, yeah. That's pretty serious. The Queen City Grill, I think it was called. 
That's fine. Downtown Seattle. Yeah, oh, yeah. He was hot. Oh, I've told that story on an episode. Oh, yeah. He wanted to throw my ass right out the window. So you've been there. Yeah. Yeah. I still think the best part of that story, I know that I've told it a few times, was, you know what that was over, but you, do you know why he wanted to throw me out the window? I don't think I do. He wanted to throw me out the window because I was criticizing Jim Beheim to somebody else. I was talking oh. to Mike Tarico. My former yeah. peer advisor, who also wants to throw me out the window, but I was talking to Mike Tirico, and he's like, "You still got a problem with uh, with Beheim?" And I said something, and 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 Digger, who had had a couple pops, yeah, he overheard it, and he and he wanted to throw me out the window. So I think the best part of that story, <laughs> and I've told this on one of the other episodes for people who have already heard it. I apologize, but you haven't heard it. I haven't. Best part of that story is the kicker. Okay. The kicker is that a year later, so that was in Seattle in '95. Was he here for the... Final Four, 95. Okay. Okay, UCLA over Arkansas in the Final Four. That's right. The Kingdom. Yeah. And so we were having dinner. That's why he was here. Cameron Dollar. Okay. In 96, Syracuse takes... Jim Beheim takes a less than great Syracuse team. Was that to Carmelo? The Final Four. No, no, no. 96. A less Not than that great... far off. A less than great okay. Syracuse team to the Final Four in New Jersey. All right. Okay. And it's considered one of Jim Beheim's greatest accomplishments <laughs> that he was able to take this group yeah. to, he had no business taking them to the Final Four. And so I was traveling back and forth with my dad to see Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. As you do. Right. And I came back from one of those trips and they're about to go to the Final Four and we're going to go back to the Final Four. And I'm at SeaTac Airport. And when I tell you this, you're going to say, this is not true. Yeah. You're going to say, there's, there's no way this is true. And I'm telling you, <laughs> This is true. All right. I get into my car, which was in the parking for a few days, to drive back late at night, returning from the Elite Eight after Syracuse just took this motley crew to the Final Four. Oh, you're just you're riding high. You're loving it. Life yeah. couldn't be better. I get in the car and I'm driving around and around no, that sure. little thing. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. know how I, I I lose my equilibrium when oh, I, I get drive. seasick on that thing. Yeah, and then I come out and I go through the gate and I pay my parking, whatever, and I've got 950 KJR. <laughs> At that time, I used to work at 950 KJR. You did? Yeah. Uh, I have them on my radio. And they're in syndicated programming. It's late at night. Okay. And it's ESPN Radio. We were the ESPN Radio affiliate back then. Yep. And the show that's on, and I swear to you, oh, God. Digger Phelps is on a phone doing a guest spot on an ESPN Radio show. And as soon as I get from undercover at SeaTac Airport, uh -huh. he starts in. You're not going to... What, what makes me... What I really think about when I think of Syracuse going to this Final Four is that a year ago, I was in Seattle, and this oh. fool, this this Syracuse University graduate fool, is that right? Is bad mouthing Beheim, <laughs> and and this is what this is what happens with Syracuse. All these guys that bad mouth Bam, and he's just he's he didn't forget it. He, not only didn't forget it, he's, I'm sitting there driving, he's talking about it on the show. That's he's, amazing. He's ragging me out yeah. while I'm driving on oh that like gosh. Sunday night after the Elite Eight, and I just happen to be in my car, That's crazy. turning it on, listening to him. And I, I wonder where that guy is now. I'd like to hear what that guy has to say about Bayon now. And I'm in there and I'm saying, give me a call. Right. I'm, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm right here. Have you seen him since? Have you had any interaction with him or any? No. Huh. That's crazy. No. No, I think I, I think I called him and tried to apologize, but he didn't take the call. You tried he to apologize? Really I mean, you, uh, for having an opinion? Yeah, what I think you apologize I, because for? I, mean, I hurt his feelings, and and I, it, it's a, there was a long, there was a long, long story. All right, 
All right. Anyway. But so Jason but, uh, Vargas. Anyway, That's Jason <laughs> Vargas threatened to F up a reporter in the Mets locker room on Sunday. Uh, Le'Veon Bell's 911. We got to play that clip and talk about that clip Love for it. a half a second. Uh, the youth baseball brawl in Denver. Can we just have a few moments about that? Disgusting. So we, we got a few things to do in that final segment after we get three great interviews. All right. I'm ready for him. Let, let's interview away. All right. Man, am I super lucky to have a partner like Evergreen Gov called the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, managing over $2 billion in assets. How would I do the unfiltered majors challenge without them? I wouldn't. Tyler Hayes says, I'm in. I'll send a winner and his or her guest to Pebble Beach with you for a trip of a lifetime to play Pebble Beach and Spyglass. That's what Evergreen Golf Call is all about. Tyler Hay is one of the 40 under 40. In 2018, the Financial Times named them one of the top advisors in America. The 2018 fastest-growing wealth manager named by the Puget Sound Business Journal, headquartered in Bellevue, but with offices in Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley. Remember, Evergreen is legally a fiduciary to their clients. Not all financial advisors can say that, and that means they have a legal requirement to make financial decisions that put their clients' interests first. Check them out at evergreengovcall.com. That's evergreen, G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com. Sign up for their newsletter like 10,000 others or take a listen to the new podcast on wealth management called the Evergreen Exchange. I'll be interviewing Tyler Hay in an upcoming episode. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Off to the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, and Mitch Unfiltered Seahawks Insider. And we haven't visited Brady since the mini camp came and went. Now, that's it, right? Between now and training camp, which will begin on July 21st or July 25th at the VMAC, right? That's it. Yep. So they're off for the the, the five, six weeks between between the end of mini camp and then the start of training camp. All right. The first thing I want to start with is what you wrote on Twitter at Brady Henderson. Uh, before the minicamp started, and I'm going to quote you, you wrote, I'm most interested in seeing which of the young receivers are earning Russell Wilson's trust. This was before the minicamp started. And so I'm, I'm ready for your answer because I'm a little panicked as a Seahawks fan. I think this is going to be a sore spot and a discussion point all year. I can just hear radio shows and podcasts all year asking, are the Seahawks receivers open? Are they winning at the line of scrimmage? DK Metcalf and the other rookies. So why don't you answer your very own interest. What did you see at minicamp that satisfies what you were looking for? Well, I saw a lot of DK Metcalf, and he was really the, the one guy of those three draft picks uh, at receiver that really stood out. I mean, the other two guys, you know, Gary Jennings and John Ursua, both uh, missed a lot of time earlier in the offseason with hamstring injuries. So, really, for the whole offseason, and including the minicamp, it was DK Metcalf was, was the one who stood out. And, um, you know, he was taking a lot of first-team reps, which is a very good sign. Uh, you don't just give a guy those you sort of have to earn those um he seemed to you know kind of be on the same page in a lot of ways with russell and again you know the usual caveats apply that it's you know no padded practice there's no contact uh you know the the defensive backs aren't really fully contesting balls but um you know i think a quarterback like wilson who is as protective of the ball and as adverse uh to turnovers as he is you know it takes a lot for him to earn, you know, for a receiver, a young receiver to earn his trust. And it sure looked like DK Metcalf has started to do that. Um, you know, talking to some people behind the scenes, 
Uh, it sounds like he really made a strong impression on Russell, both on and off the field, um, and it certainly looked that way just when yeah. you watched it. Wilson called him really intelligent. When you say it takes a lot to earn Russell Wilson's trust, why don't you go through the wide receiving core and tell me who truly, outside of Tyler Lockett, will come back to Lockett, actually has Russell Wilson's trust, as you describe it. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, aside from Lockett, I mean, it's tough, you know. When you go from having a guy like Doug Baldwin, who, um, you know, those guys were were so, you know, in unison that, you know, they could give them that look, you give each other that look at the line of scrimmage and not even really say anything, but just know. Um, it takes a while to get to that point, and it takes, you know, a smart receiver. And, uh, you know, David Moore, for as, as much as he came on uh, in spurts last season as a deep threat, you know, he was kind of a, I don't want to call him a totally one-dimensional player, but really that was what he did. He got deep, um, you know, so it's going to be important for him to start learning more positions than just the X, uh, so to be able to move around, and it sounds like he's doing that, and that's one way, um, I think, to, for him to grow as a receiver. But he was really – you know, more or less a deep threat specialist. Uh, Jerron Brown is another interesting guy, a veteran who you certainly, you know, expect um, to know what he's doing. And, and from the sounds of it, it sounds like he is going to have a bigger role this year um, than what he had last year. And, you know, coaches have talked about him being underutilized and all that. So uh, we didn't, haven't really seen enough of him to know where that is between him and Wilson. Um, and with Moore, again, he, he just has to continue to develop. As good as he was last year at, at times, he's still a, you know, a developing player. It's really his third season, uh, but he was, he was sort of one of those redshirt guys as a rookie. So this is really his second season, effectively. So, Brady, we had Michael Bumpus on 44P last week, and he was trying to convince me that the, and that's the former Coug wide receiver, former Seahawk wide receiver. He was trying to convince me that Tyler Lockett, in his eyes, is a number one receiver, can be a number one receiver in the NFL. I am skeptical. I guess I was born skeptical of everything. So you take that with a grain of salt. But I am, I mean, I like Tyler Lockett. I, I like Tyler Lockett in the role that he has played for the Seahawks up until now. I can't close my eyes until I see it and visualize Lockett as a, a male-carrying 85-90 reception guy in a passing offense with Russell Wilson. Can you see that? Well, you know, it's difficult because you're talking about different offenses. And if you extrapolate his, you know, catches, targets, touchdowns, um, you know, if you sort of compare what those numbers would be like in an offense that isn't the most run-heavy offense in the NFL, um, yeah, you know, those, those look like number one wide receiver productions. I think we're just conditioned in a way. To, to think of that number one wide receiver as the Mike Evans type, the Julio Jones, the Des Bryant, you know, it's just those bigger guys. Um, and Lockett is, you know, he is certainly as, as tough as nails, you know, coming back from that injury that he had a few years ago with his leg, you know, snapped in half. Um, so this is not a commentary on his toughness, but, you know, he is not a guy who is going to go up and get a ball like you see a lot of those number one receivers doing. So, um, you know, he doesn't really have the size you think of, but if you look at the production, if you, if you sort of measure that out uh, what, and imagine what that would look like in a pass-first offense, I think the production would match up. Okay. We'll have to wait and see. The proof will be in the pudding. The voice of Brady Henderson, terrific Seahawks insider for ESPN.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. All right, we've talked about this a number of times. I am obsessed with the pass rush. And I think that there are a number of things coming out of minicamp, a number of little stories that when you put them all together have a lot to do with the pass rush. Let's start with the Brady Henderson Index. 
<laughs> now, the last time you were on, Mitch Unfiltered, I asked you, what does the Brady Henderson, the BHI, say as the chances that Ziggy is going to play in week one of the regular season? Do you remember what number you gave us? I believe I said 80%. Does that sound right? That sounds right. I'm going to give you another chance now that we are now in episode 45 and we're getting closer and closer to training camp. Would you like, from what you learned at minicamp, to reduce that number? Does the BHI now need to be reduced on some level? Yeah, I think I will I will take the opportunity to reduce that now that I have a mulligan. <laughs> and, uh, and I will drop that to 68%. From 80, 85 to 68. So still, you think it's clearly better than 50-50 that Ziggy will be active and, and running after, who do they play, Andy Dalton in the first game? He'll be racing after Andy Dalton in the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, I'm, you know, because I'm, I'm weighing, you know, a, a few different things here. You know, from somebody that I talked to who was in a good position to know this, you know, he seemed confident okay. Um, that, okay. that there was at least a good chance that he was going to be available. Now, I'm reducing the BHI uh, just because, you know, with what Pete Carroll said. And, um, you know, Pete Carroll, as we all know, is about as optimistic as anybody could be, you know, including when he's talking about injury timelines and, um, you know, he, he made it clear that it is very much uncertain as to, you know, when they're going to get Ziggy Hansa back. It doesn't sound like it's going to be at the start of training camp. So um, in that case, he would be sort of in a hurry to try to get ready uh, for week one. So as, even as I say it out loud and as I, as I talk through it, maybe I have to drop that down to – You can uh, drop it. You can if I get another it. mulligan, I'll, do. I'll drop that down to 63%. Okay. 63%. And you'll get, going. you're going to get lots of – you can buy lots. This is like one of those charity golf tournaments. You can buy lots of mulligans, and you'll get another one the next time that we visit. And I, I just hope that this isn't going to be one of those things where the BHI is not like going down and down and down and down and down to where we're at the end of training camp talking about PUP lists. Okay. Two guys that didn't really run, didn't get opportunities to rush to quarterback for different reasons last year. Barcavius Mingo and Shaquem Griffin. Two guys, one guy is moving from weak side to strong side linebacker, as I understand it, and Mingo's becoming more of a pass rusher, which he wasn't asked to do for the Seahawks. Talk about those two decisions, and why was Griffin moved from one linebacker spot that he played in college to the other in the first place? Yeah, I think starting with Shaquem Griffin, you know, I think they wanted to get him back in the spot that he was more comfortable with, and he clearly is uh, more comfortable in that strong side uh, role. And you know, for the listeners out there, in Pete Carroll's four-three defense, the, the weak side linebacker, so that's KJ Wright, who's played that position for a number of years. He's on the weak side, so away from the tight end, and he plays off the ball, so he plays behind the line of scrimmage. Now, the strong side linebacker, he's playing on the strong side which is usually the tight end side and he's playing on the ball in a two-point stance so that's that was Barkevius Mingo last year it was you know uh, Mike Morgan Bruce Irvin those guys in years past so um, you know that that role can entail some pass rush and that's really what he did uh, at UCF he was a guy who played on the ball in a two-point stance uh, and he set the edge and he rushed the passer. So um, I think that they are, you know, I, I don't think that Shaquem Griffin is guaranteed to make this team. When you look at the strength of this linebacker 
core and you know how he he struggled last year when they put him in like a lot of rookie fifth round picks would do um you know he struggled in that first game when they kind of threw him into the fire there so um i think they are giving him the best chance to to stick uh which is to put him at the position that he is most comfortable with now um what i find interesting about that is you know you typically because you're when you're on the weak side you're playing in space so you typically have a lighter guy there compared to the strong side guy which is you know taking on double teams really uh, at the point of attack a lot. So you, typically that is a bigger guy. Um, he apparently has not gained any weight from last year. So he is going to be, if he ends up playing on the strong side, he's going to be doing it at about 220-something pounds, which is a little bit lighter than what we've seen uh, that guy at in the past. And then with Mingo, uh, that's a fascinating one to me just because you know when, when they signed him last year, um, it was really the talk was that's the Bruce Irvin role, right? The hybrid strong side yeah. linebacker yeah. on early downs and then the guy who rushes the passer on third down. Well, he was their starting strong side linebacker uh, really in that, that early down role, but he hardly rushed the passer. I looked this up in our ESPN database. I think it was 497 defensive snaps in all, and only like 67 of those uh, were pass rush snaps. So, um, he, he hardly rushed the passer at all last year. And from the explanation that Pete Carroll gave was that they really wanted to hone him in and really have him focus on that strong side linebacker role because they didn't really have anybody else to play it. Uh, and that is an important role for them uh, on early downs. And so they sort of took the pass rush stuff off of his plate. And now they're sounds like they're really doing the opposite of that. They Pete Carroll used the word featured uh, rusher. They want to make him a featured or specialized rusher, I think was the, the word that he said. So it sounds like his role – is really going to be reversed. And, um, you know, that, that's he becomes a very intriguing player just because um, we all know, as we've talked about before and as we'll continue talking about, they really need pass rushers. Shaquem Griffin, you just said he's not a guarantee to make the team, and I want to follow up on that before I ask about Michael Kendricks, who can also rush the passer if he's available to the Seahawks. Griffin and the PR situation, the human interest story that he is, the inspiration to so many for really good reasons – does that play into whether he makes this team or not? Or are we beyond that now? And the Seahawks will not have any problems with walking away from not only a great human interest story, but the, the twin brother of somebody they're counting on and they want to be happy at the cornerback position. They're, they're in a little bit of a box from uh, yeah. off-the-field pressures, I would say. No? Uh, I, I would agree with you there. And, and you know, I, I would think that they would – um, you know, have the conviction to do, you know, what they, to, to, you know, give the roster spot to the guy who they feel like is most deserving of that, whether that's Shaquem Griffin or somebody else. But, you know, like you said, it, it is just such a, it, you know, it's such a, a unique story, um, not only talking about his own story, but the fact that his twin brother plays on the team. So um, I think it's a lot easier said than done to say, yeah, you just, you know, you make that decision based on merit. Um you know, and, and again, maybe Shaquem Griffin ends up winning that job on merit, but it's just, it's not, it's very much a different, uh, a different situation. And I think that's why they're giving him the best chance, uh, you know, putting him in, in that strong side role. They're giving him the best chance to, to win that spot or to win at least a roster spot. Pete Carroll was tight lipped about Michael Kendricks. He didn't want to say too much. He was very careful with you guys, I noticed. He did say, everything's moving along, and I quote, he's real optimistic about how things are going, and he seems very confident that he'll be a Seahawk this year. Uh, what about Michael Kendricks and the sentencing? How important of a, a story is this to the overall look of the Seahawks defense, do you think? 
I think it's pretty important because, you know, we did not see a ton of Michael Kendricks last year, but that guy is a he is a baller, okay? Like, that guy can really play. And obviously, you know, if, if they didn't, didn't have the situation hanging over his head last year, um, he would not have been available for, you know, a minimum salary deal uh, like he was to the Seahawks. You know, that guy can play, and you mentioned the pass rush element of that, and that is as a blitzer. He's a very effective blitzer, even in, you know, the three or four games that he played last year. I think he had a couple sacks. Um, so he showed that, that blitzing capability. He's a really athletic guy. Um, so he is he is what they need on defense, and um, I think it'll be interesting to see how they they play those guys. So the Mingo element of it makes a lot of sense because we've heard Carroll say before that you know they expect to have Kendricks, Wagner, Bobby Wagner, and KJ Wright all on the field at the same time, which was a little confusing because the question first question was well where does Mingo fit into that? Now we know he's going to be more as a, as a pass rusher. The other question is okay well. K.J. Wright and Michael Kendricks both typically play on the weak side. K.J. Wright has played on the strong side, but he has said that you know he very much prefers to play on the weak side. So that's the other, the next question to be sorted out there. Um, in addition to obviously what is going to happen with Michael Kendricks and the impression that I get, um, and this is this was sort of you know more not confirmed, but um, you know supported by what Carroll said is, you know I think that this could end up getting delayed all the way until the end of the season. Ah, um, we've yeah. seen it get delayed three or four times now. From yeah. what I understand, his the co-defendant, the co-conspirator, he is still uh, scheduled to be sentenced. Um, so the folks can, you know, read into that what they might. But, um, you know, I think that, that from what I understand and, and from what it looks like, th- they could have a Kendricks available, you know, all the way through the season without having to, you know, have any sort of sentencing hearing or anything like that. All right, before, and, and that, I think that's reflected in what Pete said. Before you finish up, you've got to go cover some Portland Timber soccer, and I've got to go do an, another episode or another interview for episode 45. Let me ask you to pull the BHI out one more time for two different guys. Bradley McDougal and his knee surgery. I'm assuming the BHI reads 100% that he'll be ready at least for opening day, if not for training camp. What does the BHI say for him? And what does the BHI say for Will Disley, who's coming back from a patellar tear and a pretty drastic knee surgery? Yeah, with uh, McDougal, I will say 99% that he'll be there on, on the first day of training camp. He was very confident of that. Pete Carroll also was very confident of that. Bradley McDougal said that, you know, if, if they had to play right now, he could. Um, so I'll say 99% to account for, you know, whatever, um, you know, unforeseen thing might happen. And with Disley, I will say if we're talking about uh, being available at the start of training camp, I will say 30% uh, as far as being available for the opener yep. against Cincinnati, I will say 80%. Um, you know, Pete Carroll said, and again, you got to take every, you know, any, anytime you hear Pete Carroll talk about an injury timeline, uh, you got to realize he's usually looking at it optimistically. And he even said, you know, they may end up waiting, a, a, you know, a week or so to activate Disley um, once training camp starts. And then, again, you just never know with a guy coming off an injury. So I'll say 80% as far as week one. Okay. Brady Henderson, he does a phenomenal job. You have to follow him on Twitter. 
ESPN.com Seahawks insider. He's going to be with us all year long. He's agreed to be with us here on Mitch Unfiltered as we take every step along the way through Seahawks training camp and into the regular season. Enjoy Portland and don't be a stranger. We'll talk to you again on Mitch Unfiltered and thanks for being back with us. You bet. Thanks, Mitch. Talk to you later. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com Seahawks insider. He'll be with us all year round and you know how I feel the wide receiver spot, and the pass rush. Those are my two major concerns and the two things that I think we'll be talking all year long about for the 2019 Seahawks. Guys on the outside helping Russell Wilson out, winning in pass routes, and of course, who's going to get heat on the quarterback with Frank Clark on, and I'm not sure Ziggy's going to be ready for opening day. If you're ever looking for a spot this summer to have great pizza, a cold craft beer, maybe a comfortable place to watch some sports. I'm telling you, Zeke's Pizza is your place. There's nothing quite like a nice summer's evening with a cherry bomb or a Puget Pounder, an ice-cold craft beer at one of the soon-to-be 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza, and you'd be supporting a very important partner of Mitch Unfiltered that has made this podcast experience possible. I'm going to be at Zeke's Pizza all season long, all football season long, during Husky games and Seahawks games. I'll be making the tour at the different locations of Zeke's Pizza. If you're home and you're not in the mood to go out, you want some Northwest-style pizza and craft beer delivered to your door, Zeke'sPizza.com is a very easy option. If you're ever looking for a good spot to take your youth baseball team or soccer team after a season or after a game or something this summer, you got to go to Zeke's Pizza. Great locations make it very, very family-friendly and team-friendly. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Well, all week I looked for him. I called high and low. I called everywhere. I called his cell phone. I called his home phone. I called... I called the Hamptons, I called Shinnecock, I called Sabonic, I called the National, I called Maidstone, I looked high and low, and I couldn't find him, and then I started to get nervous, and ultimately, I caught him. Here he is, our old friend Ben Wright, we're going to talk a little U.S. Open and U.S. Open Golf and Open Championship, which is on the way at uh, at Portrush. I finally found you. You got me really nervous, Ben. <laughs> you should be. At my advanced stage, I could pop off any time. <laughs> but I'm trying not to. Which <laughs> I just, oh. I just hide, from, I hide from you. <laughs> you know, my search for you actually reminds me of an old story that happened to me many, many years ago that I'll share with you and our audience. Okay. 34 years ago, 1985, I was a fresh yes. I was a freshman at Syracuse University in upstate New York. Yes. And my mother, father and I had a had a deal with my two brothers as well, and that was whenever we traveled from home back to school, we had we had to call in when we when we arrived safely. There were no cell phones in those days, so we had to call in to report that we arrived safely. Yes. And so after one of the uh, the many vacations, maybe it was a Thanksgiving break or some sort of a break where I was home away from my freshman year, I flew back. I took the, the connecting flight in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, off to Syracuse, six-hour day. I got back to my dormitory, and 
as young people do. I got caught up with my friends. I saw my friends and we started to, uh, to, to hang out and have fun. And I forgot all about that phone call that I was going to make. <laughs> and it was 10 or 11 o'clock at night and we were doing what, what young people do in colleges and just having a good old time in the dormitory. And all of a sudden, the elevator doors open and two very burly police officers <laughs> came out. You can imagine what a dormitory looks like when two police officers start walking down a long and narrow hallway. Everybody sticks their head out of their rooms wondering, uh-oh, who are they here to see? Who's in trouble? And they walked very <laughs> almost in slow motion. So we all kind of got into the hallway to find out which, which guy went wrong in the dormitory. And we're all wondering where these two officers are going to stop. And as they walked slowly down the hallway, slowly down the hallway, slowly down the hallway, all of a sudden, they stop at my room, and one of them bellows, I'm looking for Mitchell Levy, at which time my heart stopped. And I, <laughs> I said sheepishly, uh, that's me, sir. And he said, call your parents. And they turned around and walked back down the... the <laughs> Great story, mate. Great story. Needless to say, I was the punchline of jokes for the next four years with all of my friends. My parents called the police to come after me yeah. to make sure that I called home. And I, and I will... The PS to that story is I will admit that I never missed a call home from from a trip the rest of the four years of my time at Syracuse University. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, we all have to learn those lessons. As a matter of fact, when I came to America, Mitch, I called my mom every Sunday without fail. And uh, if I'd have missed, I, I don't know what would have happened. Uh, she'd probably have me arrested. <laughs> But I never, I never missed, and uh, uh, I'm proud of that, actually. Well, uh, I didn't miss again after that one, that one instance. So uh, I'm glad that yeah. I, I'm glad that I have found you. I'm glad that we have found you safe and sound somewhere, vacationing in the Hamptons. And and I and I must ask you aloud to just share with me what you thought last week when you watched Gary Woodland fend off. Brooks, we almost had another Brooks Kepka major championship. Almost unbelievable to consider how awesome he has been in the uh, in the last two, three years in major championships. What did you think when you saw Gary Woodland hoisting the trophy at Pebble Beach? Well, my thoughts were, believe it or not, for an Englishman who I knew really well when we were both a lot younger. In England, I was doing my apprenticeship in Manchester, England, and he was an aspiring playing professional, touring professional from Sheffield, Yorkshire. Well, now, at the age of 69, he's become the number one guru uh, in the world, I believe, even more 
in demand than David Ledbetter and Butch Harmon ever were. Wow. And he was in the position of being coach to both Kepka and Gary Woodland. Wow. And, and I must tell you the story because I think you'd appreciate it. When Woodland approached him first to see if he would advise him, uh, Cowan said to him, Gary, you have zero ambition and you are wallowing in mediocrity. I love that expression, mm -hmm. wallowing in mediocrity. If you're prepared to put your heart into this thing instead of just using it as a day job, uh, I'll, I'll come along with you. So that is why Woodland has completely changed uh, Cowan. It minces no words like a true Yorkshireman from Sheffield where he has a huge golf school, by the way. Um, and also, because of Cowan, Gary's putting, which was very sketchy, was attended to by another Brit called Phil Kenyon, who is the putting guru of Europe and, uh, you know, has advised most of the top players in the world. So... Cowan was in this position of not knowing whether Kepka would be totally ticked off uh, because uh, he was beaten by Gary. Uh, and uh, Cowan had advised his, uh, his conqueror. Um, and, and, and to their eternal credit, neither man uh, had any grudge whatsoever against their coach. So, uh, but can you imagine mm. having the the two contenders for the U.S. Open both under your tutelage? I mean, that's a pretty rare thing. You gave Gary Woodland too much credit when you called his putting sketchy. You were being very kind uh, on this yes. morning. <laughs> on this morning, it was yeah. like a it was like a hundred. He was like a hundred and fiftieth. Uh, on tour in putting until the U.S. Open, and something turned around for him, and he made a lot of clutch par putts, and obviously yeah. the putt on the 72nd hole to to cement his victory. I know I ask you this all the time, and you seem to answer it with a yes all the time, but I'll give you another chance. I remember you told me Danny Willett was going to win more majors. I'm still waiting. I haven't had a meal since uh, I, I've been waiting to, for him to win for me to have my next meal, and I'm down to a svelte 28 pounds. Uh, <laughs> well, is Gary you, may be down, you may be down to 14 yet. <laughs> is, Gary, is Gary Woodland going to win another major championship, or do you think it's a one and done for Gary? I think probably he has the game, like Kepka has the game for the modern uh, tour, but I don't know. I mean, it depends on whether he remains resolute as Pete Cowan has demanded of him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, so I, I will 
not make a fool of myself <laughs> by, uh, <laughs> by, <laughs> by talking about Danny Willett again. Uh, although I must say, in fairness to Willett, that although he's lost most of his hair, um, he, he is coming back yes, he strongly. Is. Yes, he is. And, and he's making quite a show of things. And uh, I'm not suggesting for one minute he's going to win a major, but I'm sure that he's not going to go away because he comes from the same town as Cowan, you know, and they are determined people, those people from Sheffield. They have to be. Once my uh, co-commentator on British commercial television was the great teacher, John Jacobs, and a television reviewer who was very famous in Britain called Peter Black, once wrote that Jacobs's um, fortitude was well known, but alas, his voice was filtered through seven layers of Sheffield soot. <laughs> Uh, the great Ben Wright, you're listening to the voice of the great Ben Wright, one of the great voices of, of golf for so, so many years and a friend of our show here all the way out here in the Pacific Northwest. Now, before we get off of the U.S. Open and I, I ask you to rekindle, you've shared the story many times with our audience about your your round with a certain caddy at, uh, at Portrush. Before we get there. Uh, where they're going to have the Open Championship. Two other questions about the U.S. Open. It didn't look like the Tiger Woods was very comfortable with either his game or the conditions. It seems like, and everybody's commenting now and writing now, that when Tiger Woods get to these places that aren't you know, warm and balmy and, and where he can work up a good lather and it's a little cool and overcast and maybe even a little rainy, that that's going to be difficult on his body and it's going to be difficult for Tiger to play his best golf. He just didn't seem to have it at the U.S. Open. Any thoughts on Tiger and Tiger moving yes. forward? Yes, I feel you hit the nail on the head. As a very old person myself, <laughs> I, um, I find it increasingly difficult to function physically in damp, cold weather. Um, my knees were ruined by playing rugby, and, uh, and I, they do, I deserve it uh, for playing that stupid game. But, um, uh, you know, really, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Obviously, uh, he prefers the warmth, and that's why he lives in Florida, of course. But... Um, I, I do feel it has an effect on anybody as they get older, particularly uh, that dampness and cold gets in your bones and, and your joints. And I, I really feel that you, you hit the nail on the head there, Mitch. How about the other story out of the U.S. Open? Now, Jordan Spieth, I think, is an enjoyable personality. He wears his hard on his sleeve. You never have to wonder what Jordan is thinking. He's very tough on himself. I, I think that if you and I had a conversation a couple of months ago and I had asked you, what's the tightest bond 
between player and caddy relationship on the tour. You might have answered Jordan and his caddy, Michael Greller, who's from out these ways near Seattle. Yes. Um, there, was an, yes. there was an ugly incident that was caught on a microphone at the U.S. Open where Jordan has been very, very frustrated over the last many months with his game. He hit a couple shots on the famous eighth hole, the famous par four that Jack Nicholas says is the best par four in all the world. He hit a mm. he hit a tee shot that he pured and it went over the cliff. And then he hit another shot. His second shot went over the green that he hit so well. And he was caught saying something along the lines of, I, two perfect shots, Michael, and you got me over the cliff and you got me over the green. And people have been very harsh on Jordan for the way he spoke to his caddy. My personal opinion on that is you've got to look at this in a big picture sense. He's very good to Michael Greller. They've got a great relationship. And I think that Jordan deserves a pass. I think people deserve a pass when you look at the full body of their work sometimes. Maybe you agree. Maybe you don't agree, Ben. I, I think it's time for them to uh, break apart, uh, just, just as Jack Nicholas uh, broke apart from Angelo Argea for after many, many years, and more uh, noticeably, Phil Mickelson severed his relationship with the great Bones Mackay or McKay. You know, there, I think there is a time where, the, in the words of the cliche, familiarity can breed a little contempt. Uh-huh. And once that's happened, I think um, a partnership um, is, is ripe to be dissolved. That's my attitude on it. I don't blame either party either. I mean, uh, these things do happen. Uh, I would never blame the caddy in my life. Um, with my kind of game, you couldn't really do so. <laughs> uh, well, I know that the, the longtime fans of yours on this show have heard you tell mm-hmm. the story a few times about the caddy that you would never criticize. The, the, young caddy, the young caddy who was smaller than the bag that he was forced to carry in your, I think I'll call it infamous round at Royal Portrush. You know... They're going to play the Open Championship at Royal Portrush in just a few weeks' time, and very, yeah. very few players in relative terms really know that golf course. We know a few guys that know that golf course, one of which is your old caddy when you uh, went around on that cold and, and, I think, rainy day many, many years ago. Um, yes, I, I mean, this little, little shrimp <laughs> came around the corner of the building from the caddy shack and Di Stevenson, the pro, had told me he got a very special caddy for me. And I thought to myself, what on earth is this? I mean, am I supposed to feed the kid up or what? And uh, anyhow, of course, as I've told you before, Rory McElroy, to his complete credit, said to me, there's no bag on God's green earth that I can't carry. And carried my bag, he did, even with a uh, bottle of Macallan in (laughs) one of the bigger pockets. (laughs) And, of course, I shall never forget it. And, uh, and of course, he had just won the 
Club Championship at Royal Portrush. And, of course, Graham McDowell, his countryman, who has qualified in the Canadian Open to play at Portrush and was told he would get no favors by the RNA. Those two boys, they know that golf course like the back of their hands. And uh, it it takes a, a heck of a lot of knowing, Mitch. Does it? It's one of the really tough, wonderful uh, links courses in that in the Britain has, and it's you know it's somewhat shameful that it's been so neglected. But of course, there were there were very good reasons, as you and I both know, in terms of the what they call the troubles. Mm-hmm. between Catholics and Protestants in that country. And uh, hopefully there will be nothing like that uh, next month when the Open returns for the first time since 1951. And uh, an old friend of mine who was crazy as a loon, Max Faulkner, who won that year. Uh, ben, we've seen players go back to their old stomping grounds forever and a day to play in golf tournaments. And you said yes. you said that Graham McDowell and Rory McIlroy know that golf course like the back of their hands, and you, and you couple that with the fact that there are a ton of international players that don't know that golf course very well, and you would seem to think that it would be an incredible advantage for a guy like Rory to be playing at Portrush. Now, the other part to this, the other side that we've also seen is – there can be a lot of added pressure to go back to a golf course that you know so well that is so so important in your past, and, and it becomes a difficulty for these guys to sometimes play in their own backyard. Do you think that that might be a factor here with Rory? I think once again, you've hit the nail right on the head. I think the pressure that will be uh, exerted on McElroy and McDowell uh, will be probably too much for them. And uh, I totally agree with that. Uh, the pressure on them both is quite enormous, particularly because it's uh, a, a venue that has had, you know, such uh, little exposure that um, the rest of the field are going to have to learn very quickly the vagaries of that golf course and uh, it, it is, or it really takes a lot of knowing. Of course, in my day, the old 17th and 18th were two miserably inadequate holes. Mm. And they have been replaced by two darn good ones. Oh. And uh, okay. that has really completed the layout. Well, I'm glad that I found you. I found you and your bride well vacationing during the summertime in the Hamptons. I hear you have family there that you've been enjoying the last many weeks. So it's great to hear your voice. Thank you very, very much for spending 15 or 20 minutes with us all the way out here in the Pacific Northwest. And you know how much I love you, Ben. Well, it's my uh, esteemed pleasure to talk with you because I know that you're going to make abundant sense. <laughs> and that, that is not true of everybody to whom I speak. <laughs> we'll, we'll <laughs> Love talk, you, mate. Uh, we'll talk to you after the open. Thanks so much. 
All right, Nate. Boy, I love that guy. There's nothing quite like talking to Ben Wright, 87 years old, before or after a major golf championship. Incredible. Excellence. I know that everybody talks about it in the restaurant business, but how many actually practice what they preach? I know that Daniel's Broiler does. I love the USDA prime steaks at Daniel's. I love the seasoning and the fact that the flavor is seared into the steak in a broiler that's set at 1,800 degrees. But you want to know what I love even more? I love that the fact that every time I order a USDA prime steak at Daniel's, a wait person comes to me when my steak is served with a little flashlight and asks me the very familiar question. Have we prepared your steak to your satisfaction? That happens every single time to every person who orders any of Daniel's world-class steaks. They care. They care about the excellence. Daniel's believes in that simple idea. Every single time you dine there, you've got to go out thinking this was the best meal you've ever had. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, South Lake Union, Leshine Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the downtown Hyatt Regency, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, seven days a week. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. The NBA draft came and went last week, and the insanity of grading every team ensued on internet locations around the globe, including our next guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Here he is, CBS Sports NBA writer Kyle Boone is with us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Kyle, thanks for being with us. Would you call the draft this time around fairly predictable or chock full of surprises or somewhere in the middle? Kind of, uh, yeah, I'm glad to join you, first of all. And, and I think I would kind of label it all the above, right? Because I think everyone pretty much anticipated that the top three would go as it went. Um, and then there was a lot of, of noise and a lot of movement on draft day. During the draft, you know, there was uh, numerous picks that were traded, uh, more than a dozen, uh, including a bunch of first-rounders. The, the Wolves moved up, they moved down. Uh, the Suns moved down, and so... Uh, I, the Hawks moved up. There was a bunch of different movements. So it was kind of all the above. What can we do about the insanity, Kyle, of the last several years with trades not being finalized and therefore you've got these guys wearing the wrong hats, they're being asked about one team, and it just leads to confusion. This should be a great advertisement for the NBA, and yet NBA fans around the world leave this broadcast and are confused as to who just went where and who's going to play where next year? I, I love that question so much because it's so true. It's so awkward and it's so, so confusing because, you know, not only to fans who are trying to keep pa- keep track of, of who went where and who, who got what and which team got what, uh, but for writers too, you know, I'm writing a recap of, of, of what went down during the night and I'm like, okay, DeAndre Hunter, he got traded you know, he was part of that package deal from the Anthony Davis deal, and, and actually he's going to the Pelicans. But the Pelicans, they traded the pick, and the Hawks ended up getting him. So there's all types of different scenarios. And, you know, for example, I'm using DeAndre Hunter. You know, he walks across the stage, and, uh, you know, he's got a Lakers hat on. And it's just so weird. I, I wish that trades would get finalized a lot quicker, but I understand I, I, there's a reason for it. I just – you know, I think as a fan and, and as a writer and someone who follows NBA, it, it does not make a whole lot of sense as to why we kind of delay these transactions 
uh, past the uh, the calendar year. Should we wait on the draft a few extra weeks, delay the draft a few extra weeks, maybe into July, to allow the calendar year to start and therefore allow these trades to go through to avoid the confusion? I'm all for that, actually, and, and, and for a number of reasons, not only just because I think it would make a lot of sense for some of those transactions to go through, but you know, it's like two weeks ago we were talking about the NBA Finals, and then boom, the NBA draft happens, and it's like, oh, wow, yeah, that really snuck up on us. And then you know, next week we'll have uh, you know, free agency starting, and, and we'll have the whole cycle of news, and teams will have to fill out their rosters from there. So it would make a lot more sense if we did free agency first, right after the NBA finals and teams kind of addressed their needs. And then we did the draft because I think a, a lot of different teams would perhaps go a different direction depending on how they, yeah, how they hit yeah. or how they miss in free agency. So that would make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. The voice is Kyle Boone. He's the CBS.com sports NBA writer. You can follow him on the, on Twitter at Kyle underscore Boone. Uh, you wrote that the worst kept secret in the draft was that Philadelphia loved our guy Matisse Thibel. We love him out here in Seattle in the Northwest. He's a a local product. You know his story. You know about his defense. Uh, what was it about him that Philadelphia loved so much, and that you said uh, it was just a foregone conclusion that he was going to end up with the 76ers one way or the other? Yeah, they they love that uh, he's he's basically plug and play, right? I think uh, you you watch him at Washington, what he did on defense, his anticipation in in stealing the ball and blocking shots and and doing kind of everything. He was kind of their roamer, um, and they really freed him up to do a number of things because he is so good on defense. I think that translates right away. I think the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers are in a situation where. They are in win-now mode. You know, they, they cast in a lot of their assets from, that they developed from the process. They are trying to compete in the Eastern Conference. You know, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they have a lot of talent on the roster, and I think Thibault really fits an exact need for what they, for what they were looking for. So it makes a lot of sense uh, that, that the Sixers wanted him. I, I question some of his shooting. I don't know if he's going to be a great shooter in the NBA, and I think, you know, teams will eventually lock on that, but um, his defense, I think, is going to uh, be able to overcome any offensive deficiencies in my mind. With what you project them to have next year as they go back and try to go back to the playoffs and deep into the playoffs, will he get minutes? Will Matisse Thibel get get substantial minutes, or will he get lost on the bench right away? I'm betting on Matisse Thibel being a starter from day one. Really? I, I think he's that. I, I think he's that good. Yeah, I, I know there's some pieces up in the air. Um, with the 76ers, you know, are they going to bring back Jimmy Butler? Um, are they going to bring back Tobias Harris? I, I think there are some questions about, you know, if if he can get a spot, but I think what he brings to the defensive end of the floor, um, I think he's going to start right away in my eyes. You also wrote that you gave the Minnesota Timberwolves a B plus, thanks in part to an under-the-radar pick of Jalen Noel. Uh, do you have any thoughts on why most teams were underwhelmed by the idea of picking Jalen? Yeah, I, I think he may be a little bit limited athletically. Um, but, you know, I, I've talked to some people about now while, and, and I am all in on him. I think he's super talented, and I'm curious as to why he fell into the second round. I, I think he was a first-round talent. If you look at my big board, I think I had him throwing around 29. So I had a first-round grade on him. And, uh, and, and part of that, too, was just what he did at the NBA Combine. I think after his season at Washington – there were a lot of people who were really high on him 
and, and including me, but um, at the NBA Combine, I thought he really looked. He would, he had a little bit more burst, a little bit, a little bit more pop in his step um, at the Combine. I, I recall one specific play where uh, he would, he had the ball on the wing. He drove into the interior, and seven foot seven Taco Fall was standing there. He just went right at him, and I think that is a, a pretty good example of. Now, and how he plays, he's just super competitive. He doesn't back down. He's, he's very um, confident in his game, and I think that translates. He's, he's going to be a good offensive player, um, can, can create his own shot, and I think there is a lot of value in, in what he brings. So I actually really like what he uh, can do in the NBA, and I, I'm up on him. Kyle, uh, same question about Noel. Will he be a G League player the first year, or do you figure that he'll be, he'll be on, on the Timberwolves team? I think he'll be on the Timberwolves team. I don't, I don't think he'll be a starter. Um, but if you look last year, what the Timberwolves did, they drafted Josh Okoge, um late in the first round. And I think he is kind of a similar type of player. I don't, I don't think that they play the exact same position, but um, I think he could be in a similar situation as Okogi is last year, where he's a guy who ends up playing some, some decent bitch minutes and at least being a rotation guy. So I, I think he has a good shot to contribute right away. Kyle Boone, the CBS Sports NBA insider. If I asked you to put your hand over the top three draft choices, Zion, Ja, R.J. Barrett, which of these other guys that we that we saw hand-selected do you think will be primed to have a great impact out of the gate, either because of the player or because of the fit with the team or because of both A and B? I would say it's John Morant if I had to pick between those three. No, 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 three, no, 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 no. You, you didn't get the rules. You got to put your hand. <laughs> you got to put your hand over those three. You can't have okay, any of those three. I'm blindfolding myself. Okay. No, you can't have okay. Zion. You can't have Morant, and you can't have Barrett. You can have anybody else. I would say Jackson Hayes, um, and he's going to the Pelicans, and, and this is kind of in part because I'm so high on Zion Williamson. But Jackson Hayes got picked eighth by the Pelicans. Um, he's a guy who, who New Orleans clearly targeted and, and got a few spots higher than most people thought he would go. Uh, if you watched him at Texas, he had 4.3 blocks per 40 minutes, which is absolutely insane. More than Mobamba, uh, who last year was drafted in a similar spot. So I really like him. He's a good shot blocker. He's a good center. And, uh, you know, he's not going to be like the flashy Zion Williamson guy who's throwing down monster dunks, but he's really good. And I think he can be kind of like a defensive anchor for the Pelicans. And it's a really nice piece for, for what Zion can do because that frees up Zion uh, to, to play a power forward. So I, I think Jackson Hayes could make an immediate impact. True or false, Zion Williamson will average more than 20 points per game, more than 10 rebounds per game, and run away with Rookie of the Year honors. False. I'm, I'm betting against that. Yeah, I think if you look at what Anthony Davis, who was probably the next best number one prospect coming out of college, did in his first season with New Orleans, I think he averaged something like 12.5 points and maybe like six rebounds, and he was a really good prospect. So I think Zion's going to put up some numbers, and obviously he's going to do some flashy things, but it's going to take him some time to figure out you know, the NBA level, and I think people – will be ready for him. So it's going to take him some time to adjust. I still think he'll put up some good numbers. But those numbers. are some pretty eye-popping numbers. What are the numbers? Uh, I would say maybe like eh, 15 points, seven rebounds, okay. two blocks per okay. game. And you think John Morant will win Rookie of the Year? 
I'm betting on John Morant to win rookie of the year. Absolutely. And now all the real fun takes place. We've got Kawhi. We've got KD and Clay. We've got Kyrie and his distaste for Boston. We've got the Lakers and how they'll fill out their roster. We've got the New York versus Brooklyn New York sweepstakes for for free agents. Which of all of these stories or some that I haven't even mentioned interest you the most during the off season, Kyle? Yeah, the the Lakers drama is is pretty enticing. Um, I feel like there's a lot of bad things that are happening. You know, the Anthony Davis trade was obviously good. They got a superstar, and then they're going to pair him with LeBron James. But I don't think they have enough cap space to add a max free free agent player like a Kawhi. Um, like you know, some of the other guys that they would target. So, how are they going to break up that other cap space that they have? Are they going to add you know two or three good players, but not maybe max guys, or are they going to try and clear the cap space to create enough space to add at least one free agent? That's what I'm most curious about. And then obviously how that impacts Kyrie, how that impacts Kimball Walker. Um, all of these are kind of a domino effect depending on what the Lakers do. Right. And Kawhi, short-term deal in Toronto, short-term deal in Los Angeles with the Clippers, long-term deal with the Clippers. What's uh, what's your preference? What do you think is going to happen? I think Kawhi does a long-term deal with the Clippers. I think that is uh, that is something that has been out there for a long time. And, and obviously, I think actually winning the, winning the NBA championship frees him up to do whatever he wants because he brought a championship to, to Toronto. And you now I think the Raptors fans would obviously love to have him back, but he does not owe them anything. He never really owed them anything in the first place. It makes it a lot easier for him to leave. And I think if he's going to the Clippers, he's going to sign a long-term deal because he wants to be able to say, Hey, I'm in, I'm in LA. Come join me. You know, I want the best players to come play with me. If he signs a long-term deal, I think he can get that done. But he can he can make more money in the in the full picture if he signs a, a short-year deal to get him to the ten-year veteran supermax, so he can sign two contracts with the Clippers and make I don't know three hundred fifty or four hundred million dollars that way. You can yeah, he, he could he could. Um, I think he too. You have to consider that Kawhi has a, an injury history. I, I do feel like the the long term contract is just more enticing. Yeah. You know, we're we're a year removed from Kawhi missing the almost the entire season because because of a hamstring injury, and I, I think that matters. And I think long term security with contracts um, is, is something that it, more NBA free, uh, free agent players are going to value. Um, you look at you know Kawhi uh, Kawhi and and what he did with the Spurs. Uh, Durant this year, he, he's on the, the final year of his contract with the Warriors and uh, blew out his Achilles, and, and now he has a decision to make. So I feel like the, the comfort and uh, the security with a long-term contract makes a lot of sense. KD and Kyrie somewhere in New York, probably Brooklyn? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I, I do feel like there's at least a outside chance that KD ends up either opting in to the final year of his contract and saying, hey, I blew I blew out my Achilles in Golden State. You guys are going to pay for my uh, for my rehab, or there's there's even some some whispers that he may d- you know decide to, to opt out and sign a long term deal with the Warriors, and uh, he can make a lot more money by doing that, like you mentioned with Kawhi, and uh, and eventually maybe request a trade down the line. That would be interesting. I think that's a possibility. Um, it, I feel like the Knicks are probably the leader in the clubhouse. 
Um, as for uh, Kyrie, I have no idea what is going to happen there because I would have bet that the Nets were probably the leader there. But I think there are also some whispers that the Nets are maybe not interested in, in taking a, a single uh, player if yeah. they're not getting a second max player. So right. I would I would imagine that Kyrie has some decisions to make. Uh, I would bet Brooklyn, but uh, I think the Lakers are an option. I would imagine that the Knicks are an option. And even returning to the Celtics, Celtics as, as crazy as that sounds, I think is still on the table. Well, it's all going to be an interesting few months, off-season few months in the NBA, and the draft is now passed us by. Uh, we'll be reading Kyle Boone on CBSSports.com. All you got to do is go to CBSSports.com or follow him on Twitter at Kyle, K-Y-L-E underscore Boone, B-O-O-N-E. He's their NBA and college basketball insider. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. The NBA draft and NBA free agency, very interesting stuff, even if we don't have a team here in Seattle. Thanks to Kyle Boone of CBS Sports, the NBA insider, for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Who wants the free Mitch Unfiltered merchandise? I've been sending out free Mitch Unfiltered tumblers to those that are checking out their refinance opportunities from the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. 30-year fixed mortgage rates are now around 3.8%, and I know that most of you who are homeowners in our audience could save some serious money with a refinance. So here's what I've been doing the last several weeks. If you pick up the phone, while I still have some left of the Mitch Unfiltered tumblers, if you pick up the phone and you call the Kirkland office, it's got to be the Kirkland office. It's got to be either Jordan Flowers or a member of his team. You call the Kirkland office at 425-250-3150 and merely just identify yourself and ask, what could I save per month on a 30-year fixed if I refinance with you guys? They'll give you the number. There's no commitment. You have to make no commitment. All you got to do is make the phone call and find out the information. And once you do that, you just send me a note at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Tell me that you called and asked, and I'll send you a Mitch Unfiltered Tumblr. The 2017 J.D. Power number one lender in customer satisfaction. That's the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage with three top 1% loan officers in the U.S. in that office alone. It's got to be the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. And again, here's the phone number, the proper phone number, 425-250-3150. Give them a call. Tell me that you called and I'll send you a Mitch Unfiltered Tumblr. Unfiltered. All right, before we finish up episode 45, Hot Shot Scott, nice enough to sit in the chair. How's the chair? Oh, it's great. It's hot Delightful. Here. It is a little warm, It's yes. a little warm in here, and you've now taken your nicotine. What is it exactly that you take? It, it, you, it, you are fascinated by these. Yes, I am. <laughs> and this milligrams. is because of the chew? Yeah, because I used to chew. And I used to smoke a little bit. I have like every vice ever for some reason. Really? And yeah. how long has it been since? Uh, I, th- I think seven years maybe. And, you're, and you've been taking that stuff for seven years? Uh, unfortunately, yes. But yeah, so the idea is to like wean yourself down and just stop nicotine going into your system. Not that it's necessarily bad for you. The, the chew is actually the bad part. Right. So I should be off these. So now yeah, I- This I, medication. This is medication. So yeah, so now I need another lozenge to get off of these. <laughs> 
and then the cycle will just keep going. <laughs> They're not cheap, and it kind of annoys my wife. And so, yeah, now I have two wives. I have to defend these two. Well, while you're on the topic of, of what do they call those? Tablets? Uh, yeah, lozenge. How, how often do you take those? Oh, I don't know. I, like 10 I, times a day, I don't want to start doing the math on them. because it'll, It's pretty rare that I don't have one in. There was a thing that was going on Twitter that was called Lies Your Parents Told You. I did see that. Did that you was, see that? That was pretty great. A lot of people were volleying in, uh, throwing in things at their parents. And it, it, this is this is going to tell you how sheltered and naive I was. I was reading a lot of the examples. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. I thought all of these were true. <laughs> I still believe them all. I knew it. <laughs> Uh, and so I won't list all the ones that I, I I'm, I'm, and I'm serious. There were a lot, like one was if you turn your light on at night while you're driving, you could get pulled over and arrested. My, you know, my parents would never let us turn the lights on while they were driving at night. I, I thought that was illegal. Because they didn't, they just didn't want you to have that. I literally found out that it wasn't illegal <laughs> three nights ago when I was reading Twitter. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there, 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 there. You are so, naive. So, so so here's the one because you're taking tablets. I'll just I'll just throw this one out. Yeah, well, I can still work. Uh, that's what I'm here for. You're I can multitask. No, no, I'm 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 segueing. Oh, I got from you. The, all right, all right. the gum. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. I think I read under the lies your parents told you that it's not true that it takes seven years <laughs> to digest gum if you happen to swallow it by mistake. I heard that my whole life. I'm looking you in the eye. Yeah. I swear to you, I still thought that that was true. <laughs> really? Until Thursday night when Come I read it. Seven years is a long time. I just thought it gets into your intestines or something. Intestines? I, did, I don't know. What? I've always, I, I, I swear to you, I you can put me on a polygraph. I still thought until Thursday reading this that gum takes seven years to digest. I don't chew gum anymore. I did as a kid. And I will tell you that as a kid, I think I swallowed it a couple times. And I remember distinctly. Like starting the process of trying to count, <laughs> right? And then you get to about a week and you don't do, yeah, do you it. Forget, anyway. yeah. But I, but I, I, you know, I was like, when did I, when did I swallow that? Is it, you know, I, 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 I didn't know that that was not true. We should get a doctor on the. I swear to you, I didn't know that that was not true. What product what? would be what, that the FDA would approve that would last for seven years? I never thought. I never put stomach. in. I never Come put on. in the thought. I never put in the thought. A lot of these two are sort of like wives' tales, kind of the same thing, right? Like yeah. Stuff you hear yeah, from your yeah, parents yeah, about like yeah. having to wait. What fifteen minutes before swimming? After you eat, did you hear yeah. that as a kid? Yeah. Oh yeah. Or a cram- lot longer than that. Or like an hour. You have to wait an I had hour. To sit out in a penalty box. <laughs> Is that right? Bob Levy would not have any of it. Right. You ate. You didn't exercise after you ate. Bob Levy, you sat your ass down and you waited and he put. You know, you you looked at the clock. Like an hour. Or so, it was two hours, yes, yeah. especially swimming. Well, yeah. see, I've never and gone two was, hours without eating. There so. was also the thing about swimming that you don't want to just jump in. you got to get used to the water. My father used to make us get used to the water. <laughs> never you can have that. a heart attack <laughs> if you dive into water that's too cold and your body goes into sh- Is that not true? Well, it's funny you say that because I was up in the San Juans, which is not like beachy type water. It's freezing cold. Yeah. And I fell in. And I lost my breath. And it kind of scared me for a second. So maybe okay. there is a little something uh, to uh, that. It's, to this day, I, know, I never jump into a, a, a pool. Really? Never. Well, pools are warmer, but I, maybe I, I, a- even wa- even even warmer. <laughs> I always have to splash my chest because oh, that's what he used to do: splash his chest and yeah. his arms and his shoulders to get acclimated to the water because you don't want to just jump in. I, think, I could see it being shocking. Yes, pool. No, you're going to be Why, fine. Why did you have some that you saw that that? What, what do you got? Yeah, uh, one of them is uh, that my parents were just wrestling. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I never walked in on them, thank God. But I'm uh, sure that's what they would have said. Uh, this is one where you're going you're gonna, to... Uh, Went down the wrong tube. You've heard that? Like something goes down the wrong... I, I swear I thought we had multiple tubes in our throats for years. Well, we do. Well, you have like one... What? I think that... Yeah. <laughs> no, there's do. not. Yes, there are. I think you've got an air tube. You got you got like a breathing tube that you don't want You don't want food going Wait, on. we have two throats? No, we don't have two. Wow. I didn't say that. Go on to the next one. Yeah, all right. Uh, let's I don't see. want to get into medicine with you. Um, <laughs> you'll get sick if you get cold. Like you go outside, put a coat on, you'll get sick. You Is don't, that not true? You don't get sick from getting cold. I mean, it can maybe compromise your immune system a little bit, but if you go outside with wet hair in the snow, you're not going to instantly get sick because you're you have well, wet hair. Well, not always, but don't you give yourself a better chance of getting sick if your body temperature is much warmer than the temperature outside? Mm, maybe a little bit. My sister, who's a nurse, told me that people get sick in the winter more because you're indoors more. It's pretty simple math. You get sick more in the winter because you're indoors more and there's more germs. Yes, that's why. Not be, you're not going to instantly get sick if you go outside. But you're not. You, but you are you trying to tell me? What am I, Doctor Drew? I don't I, know. I, I'm just... I'll get a doctor. On. Don't don't make me get a doctor. <laughs> on. Right. You're trying to tell me that if I go out and it's 30 degrees outside, mm-hmm. and I go out in shorts and a shirt, yeah, there's nothing about that process, that moment, that puts me more at risk. Of getting sick. That's what I was told, yes. Oh, that is such crap. How is can your, it be crap? What, is your sister? Are we going to start comparing our, our, our medical degrees with is each this, other is here? This, <laughs> is this your sister? Yes, it's my sister. Get her on the get her on. I the would love to. She loves attention. You so are, she would you're love telling it. me there's nothing about See, going out in shorts. You still believe all these. It's scary. Well, you I think th- gums in your... You have hubba bubba in your gut from 1990. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, man. What are you, who am I talking to about this? All right. <laughs> Uh, let's move on. Let's let's move on to the Le'Veon Bell. The Le'Veon Bell nine one one call to tell nine one one operators <laughs> that he's been robbed of how much money? Worth he of said jewelry? a million dollars. A million dollars worth of jewelry. Nine one one. What's the address of the emergency? Hollywood, Florida. Oh, okay. Tell me exactly what happened. Um. Well, I had two girls in my house, and I went to. I got up. I uh, did my normal routine to go work out, so I left the workout for a couple hours. When I came back, they took my money, they took my watch, my jewelry, um, a, a couple more um, things of value <clears throat> out of my house, and I don't know where they at. And I tried to call them before I called you guys. I tried to call them, and uh, and they're not answering me, and they're ignoring me. When did this happen? This happened today. No. Okay, what all did you say was taken? I know you said money. So money, my jewelry. And other things of value, so like clothes, shoes, um, you know, just like like other things of value around the house, like uh, things that I use, you know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. But really clothes, shoes, money. Okay, what is Those the total? Money in my jewelry. What is the total estimated value of the items? Oh, like a million dollars. Since you said that you know the girls who did this, I need to get their description. Are they white, black, or Hispanic? The girls, uh, they're one is mixed, and they're both mixed. They're both mixed. Okay, their skin um, color. If an officer was to drive by, would they look more white, black, or Hispanic? Well, uh, one will look more black, and the other one will look more. Okay, the one that looks more black. How old is she? Twenty-three. What was she wearing today? Today, I mean, when I left, she was in the bed. She was in the bed, not wearing clothes when she left. So I didn't see her when she. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay, and the other one, you said she looked more Hispanic. Is that correct? Like she looked more like if anything, like we are white or Hispanic. Yes. Oh, okay. How old is she? She's twenty-one. 
And what was she seen Boston wearing today? The same way. She was in the bed, too. So oh. I, they didn't have clothes on. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, he's done one thing for me, and I'm I really I'm very appreciative of him. Yeah. He's confirmed what I've always thought about NFL players that that's how they live their life every single day. I just assumed <laughs> that's how they're all living every day. Thank you for confirming that for me. What would the the straight face of the nine one one operator? <laughs> yeah. How did she not? crack even a little chuck i guess they're just so trained, trained. professional yeah they're so trained and, yep. ch- and they get they probably get the most horrific they get the most horrific calls and i i don't envy the situation but every time she asked him what the, what the woman was wearing <laughs> Can you well <laughs> she was wearing the same thing as the other one was wearing right. nothing not a lot <laughs> oh god that whole i mean saturday night live is 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 not on. They're not doing oh, new shows right now. They're but, missing it. Oh, God. It would be so They got to kick it. This thing, if you haven't heard, I guess you have now because we probably played it here on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, the Le'Veon Bell 911 call is just a beauty. It's so great. But I, I just assume that they're all doing that. That's how you live as an NFL. I love so, it. So were these two strangers or these two people that he knew? Do we know that? Uh, Did he just is that leave? relevant to the story? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what does some, it matter at that well, point? On some level, if they're strangers... Oh, they've been uh, friends since fourth grade. I don't know. What do I, I don't well, know? Well, if they're strangers, <laughs> yeah. isn't he partly to blame for leaving and going to the gym, leaving two strangers oh, naked in his saying. house with his jewelry? Yes, he is very much to blame. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they're, unless they're really close to your friends, you know, real bosom pals. I, <laughs> I do like that he had that situation going on in his room and he wants to go lift weights. He couldn't peel me out of that bed. Work well, out. Uh, Come on, man. Uh, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I am just not going to go yeah, there. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Jason Vargas, we mentioned in the first segment, just for people who don't know, on Sunday, a reporter who's been on Mitch Unfiltered named, I think his name is Tim Healy of Newsday. He was in the locker room. He made some comments. And the coach, the manager didn't like it. The Mets were struggling a few games under 500. And he said something to him. And then Jason Vargas, curly-haired, <laughs> former left-hander of the Seattle Mariners, threatened to F him up. Don't make me come over there and I will F you up. And then lunged at him only to be held back by, by his teammates. I'm just telling you the news. I'm just telling you the news. It's it's. I've always found it fascinating when report or when athletes are sensitive like that. I've always found that kind of interesting that he would get that upset. I mean, aren't there? Isn't there negative stuff being said about those guys all every the all the time? Like, uh, what's this one moment set him off? Something set him off, and I just wonder what happens if his teammates don't hold him back. Does he truly punch the guy in the face? Does he truly assault him? Does he get arrested? He never plays again. If they don't hold him back and he truly does what he says he's going to do and fight, he never plays again. Mm-hmm. Now he's a veteran, probably doesn't, you know, he's probably at the end anyway. He's at the end anyway. He's at the end anyway. Yeah. But he could be, he, he would be arrested. He might be arrested uh, for assault. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he would, he would be like somebody that he would be a pariah, for right? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, look what happened and to the, known the for golden, that for the rest of his life. The Golden State owner. Or part owner. I yeah. mean, look what look at the people freaked out about that guy. And that was a little shove. Was, right? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't much. A little shove, and people are flipping out. So if uh, Vargas would have socked him, yes, I think his career right. would have been over. And the last thing is, we did a segment on the NBA draft, and I don't know you. You talked a little bit about some of your NBA draft research, and I appreciate that. Yes, I did. Um, I do want to say this: we did a segment, so I won't talk too much about the NBA draft. But I was really happy 
for Matisse Thibel and Jalen Noel. Now, Jalen Noel... It's a little bittersweet. Because I think Jalen Noel, and I don't know what position he is and what his family's financial position, I, I don't want to get into his business. All I know as kind of a... We're just talking as fans. Kind of a Husky fan. Right, yeah. I'm more of a Syracuse fan, but as a Husky fan, Coach I'm just going to wonder all year next year, what would it be like if Jalen Noel were still on that basketball team? And then to watch him come out early and go 43rd overall in the second round and not be guaranteed really anything. Yeah. And could end up in the G League, could end up in Europe. For him to forego, forget the chance to, to improve his stock – Forget that. I yeah. mean, that's the obvious. He could be a first-rounder a year from now. Just to forego what the pleasure and the fun that he would have had on this team with all of those recruits oh. and all of these guys coming back, it just – I am going to wonder the whole year, what would this team have been like for Jalen? But having said that, and maybe I shouldn't have said it again. I said it on the an earlier episode. I just want to say congratulations to those two guys, and in particular, my heart breaks for them. And I don't want to get too far into this because I want to, I don't want to end 45 on a sad, sad note. But I just want to say that my heart breaks for them that their parent that they both had a parent. They're young guys and their parents were young people. That they both had a parent who were not able to see this day. That's all I want to say. Yeah. Uh, it was made very clear on the television uh, in the Thibel case because he was drafted like number 20 overall. They asked him on national TV about his mom who passed away when he was in high school, tears came to his eyes, and it just breaks my heart that Elizabeth Thibel, I didn't know Elizabeth Thibel, but I'll just mention her by name, she was not able to be there to watch her son be drafted in the 20th pick. Uh, what wasn't mentioned, and so I want to mention it, because Jalen Noel was in the second round and there wasn't much exposure and he wasn't there and being interviewed and so forth, that his father was a huge, a, a, a huge supporter of local Pacific Northwest Seattle area basketball. Like AAU type AAU stuff. AAU basketball, yeah. youth basketball. He was he was well loved. He was well respected. He was revered in certain parts. And he was he went by Big Mike. Big Mike Noel, Jalen uh. Noel's father, who passed away before Jalen got to the University of Washington also years ago. And I just want to say that in addition to Elizabeth Thibel, I was thinking on draft day, even though I want Jalen to come back and everything that I said, I was thinking of Big Mike Noel. I didn't know Big Mike either, but I know of him and I know about his legacy, and I want to say that uh, I'm, I'm saddened yeah. that their parents couldn't be there on that night, at least somewhere reveling in the glory of watching their two children uh, be drafted. Congratulations to Matisse Thibel. And congratulations to Big Mike Noel. How many games did Big Mike Noel sit through watching his kid in his life? And how many practices and camps? And Ran them. He ran, know, he and, ran yeah, the camps. And he then coached ran the kids. He I mean, covered his huge, huge support. 10,000 hours of, of basketball. basketball so. And it, it would have been nice to see him be able to. Uh, I, yeah. To but just experience that. I always wonder, do, do you think that Matisse and Jalen would be the exact same players had they not have gone through that, that hardship? I'm wondering. I'm wondering if because Matisse did say he got his courage and his strength from watching his mom just plow through every day, knowing know. she was sick. It, I don't it, know. We'll never know. But I, I want I, to believe. I'm going to say yes. They would have. Yeah. Been, I would have. I want to say yes. I'm going to. I'm going to say that Noel would have been the number one overall pick in the draft <laughs> had Big Mike lived to see the day. Now, I don't know. Yeah. No, nobody knows. I, who has the answer? I'm just trying question? to find a, a silver lining. Maybe maybe going there's no silver lining. Going Hot through shot. that. Hot shot, there's no silver lining. Helped line. them kind of focus and be determined. No, and, no, no silver nah. lining. All right. Just a bummer.
just an all-time bummer. And the, the show on a flat-out bummer. <laughs> and I know that, uh, that these guys are not the first to have this sort of thing happen. I'm sure there's a lot of people on that particular line. But they're Washington kids. They're really good kids from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, really, I really felt for them not having that, that member of their family there to share it with them. All right, that's it for episode 45, except for one thing. Okay. What is it that I haven't done? Oh, you haven't named the show, right? So you want it, Kenny Easley, and I think everybody in our audience who's over the age of, what do you got to be, over the age of 40 now? Yeah, over the age of 40. Wants Kenny Easley, and I'm going to get skewered on Twitter if I don't name it after Kenny <laughs> Easley. But I'm just going to say there's a guy that I haven't mentioned that wore 45. And I'll tell you what he did before I tell you who he is, okay? He pitched for 17 seasons in Major League Baseball, all right? He went to nine All-Star games. He was the Cy Young twice. He was the World Series MVP twice. Oh, boy. And that man is Jason Vargas. Not Jason Vargas. Oh, okay. Didn't throw with his left hand. (laughs) All right. So he won two World Series, and he was the MVP of both World Series. Impressive. And I'm just going to give you his year in 1968. That will never be touched. In 1968, this man started 34 games. How many did he finish? How many complete games did he have in 34 starts? Complete games? Complete games. 10. He had 28 complete games out of 34 starts. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. He had 13 shutouts in 34 starts. His ERA was 1.12 in 34 starts. Just to put it into its proper perspective, the complete game leaders... Last year in 2018 in Major League Baseball, had two complete games. Is that right? Yeah. That's the leader? The leaders. Two. Okay. Two. He had 28 oh, in, in 19. Are we getting softer on a side note? Are we? What's going yeah, on well, with of us? Of course we are. You hear about like Satchel Paige oh, would throw back-to-back game, back games. People are screaming. Yeah, the, the game has changed. I understand. <laughs> okay, all right. His name is Bob Gibson. He wore number 45. I think... Well, I don't know that he's the greatest right-hander, but he's really close to the greatest right-hander, the most dominant right-hander that ever pitched. It's before and my time, a, and he sounds pretty good. <laughs> great. It's before my time, too. Yeah. In 1968, I was one, I was one yeah. when he had the 34 starts in the 28 complete games. Look, I can either name it episode Gibby, <laughs> if, the, if that's what they called him, or we could go Kenny Gibson or... Bob Easley. Geasley. We could go Geasley. <laughs> so you've, you've had co-winners in the past. Yeah, where you a couple of times decide. I put one name of a first name and one name of a last name because I had a local guy that everybody loved. I don't exact, exactly remember who it was. Might have even been Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. Might have been number 24. He couldn't even get it by himself? <laughs> what does he have to do besides be the remember. greatest player of the last hundred <laughs> years? Somebody else who was 24. Somebody better? I think... Yeah, it was... Oh, Jackie Robinson, maybe? Is he 24? No, no, 42. Oh, Jackie 42. Robinson. I got it. Sorry, I have yeah, dyslexia. Yeah. He yeah. used to write about um, it in my dairy. Um, what are you going to do? I mean, Bob Gibson deserves it. I mean, just resume-wise, I love Kenny Easley, of course. Watched him as a kid. He was an idol. But Bob Gibson, I mean, the, the, that career, those numbers. All right. You can live with yourself. Episode Bob Gibson is in the books. <laughs>